you, Lord. You live in the garage, Hammer. Episode 171. On tonight's episode, the fat manling and the smart manling finally decided to address the Duarte issue. And they're going to be talking about the Caradran overlords. It's about time I'm sitting around waiting for these two to talk about my peoples. And what are they doing talking about every other thing under the sun? Oh, Ming, you're so wonderful. Oh, look, it's coalescence. Oh, let's talk about this, that, and the other. Shut it! I'm listening to me show. Welcome to the garage, you tools. For the next three hours or thereabouts, we will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way. Bringing you the code, Skyforce, and finally, an Overlord's Book Review on Alex Gonzalez. And I'm Federal Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Dale Cooper. Nope. Nope. Okay, uh, Twin Peaks. It wasn't a movie. Uh, sure. You never watched Twin Peaks? Were you too young for no. Twin Peaks? Yeah, I'm a little young for Twin Peaks. Okay. Well, the Showtime's got the 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 sequel uh, show that they're running now. So instead of watching that, mm. we decided. I'm like, I should. Watch. And so Harrison and I have been watching the original Twin Peaks. We just got to the end of season one, and at the end of every episode, he's just like more and more confused. He's like, "This show is great, but I have no idea what I'm watching." I'm like, "That's yeah. the beauty of David Lynch; it's wonderful." Mm. So, yeah, no, just haven't gotten around to that one. Everyone says it's good, just haven't made it. It's so good. It's so good. Anyway, all right. So, ha ha, Caradron Overlords coming on today. Is that how you say it? Because I have a really hard time saying Caradron or whatever it is. Uh, you know is what? It? I heard him saying that on the on Warhammer uh, on the on the live feed, and then and then I thought Ben Johnson was on somewhere talking to someone, and he said it too. And I guess that's how the guys at GW say it. So that's what I'm saying. Because I thought it was Caradron, but they're like Caradron. I'm like, well, you guys work for the company. You should know. We'll just call them the Overlords and everything's good. There you go, the Overlords. It's a that, lot easier. That works. Oh, boy. Uh, so, hey, uh, it's sponsor thanking time, I think. Is it? Excellent? I believe it is. Well, as always, we need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Superstore. Caradron Superstore. That's my own shop. We'll deliver stuff by by gun hauler. Yeah, that would be good. A little ethermatic drone. Nice. And finally, Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios for all your MDF needs. And, of course, we definitely need to thank our Patreon associate producers, James Mackey. And Shirley Tempel. So, uh, thank you for all of those uh, folks. Um, folks, if you're interested in supporting the show and becoming one of the currently about a half a percent, um, then please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. And by the way, if you're a listener and a patron, I just want to say, check your messages once in a while, because I've been sending out messages to the patrons, and um, people are not responding to me. And I know some people are like, oh, it's not a big deal. I don't, I don't check that often or, or I don't need anything. But, um, you know, I've been trying to keep up with some of the promises I've made on Patreon. 
Uh, speaking of which, if you are a United States patron subscriber, check your mail. Uh, and then the UK, I'm sending stuff to. Uh, so you send a little package to the UK. It's like 15 bucks minimum because it's a package, like no matter how mm-hmm. light it is. So I just put all eight or nine of the packages for the UK into another box. And one, and uh, uh, I'm sending it to my good friend and friend of the show, Greg Dan, um, mm. who was then going to send it out UK post because sending one package to him with all the packages in it is way cheaper. And then he sends it out, oh, yeah. and, and then I just p- PayPal him the cost to post it through the through the regular UK post. Um, I just don't know anybody in. Uh, the rest of it's like Australia, and New Zealand. I gotta find a. If you were an Australia, or New Zealand patron, and you wouldn't mind receiving one package and shipping it out and having me PayPal you the, the cash, let me know. Because that's expensive as hell to ship things to those people. That is a long way away. Yeah. Well, still, I mean, anything out of the country is expensive through the postal service, and oh, so yeah. uh, that I'm just I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it this way. So you guys can be checking the mails. Things will be happening. Um. And check your messages because people who are getting uh, special recorded messages or Skype paint nights and that, that's where I've been sending messages that I'm going to be doing stuff. And only like two people consistently answer and everybody else. I don't know if they're even getting them because they're not even like, nah. So, Hmm. hey, listen, I mean, some people sign up and they don't want the rewards. They've told me, dude, I don't, whatever the reward, I don't care. I'm just sponsoring the show, which God bless you. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just feel like I don't want to, you know jip out anybody that I'm supposed to be giving things to because I promised them stuff because they're wonderful and keep this show going. Absolutely. Yeah. So just wanted to say that. Uh, last little bit before break. Voicemail. 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. That's 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. International callers dial 0 for most countries. And then 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. And that will... Uh, that will get you through to us, and uh, you can leave a voicemail. I haven't gotten any recently, so everybody's too busy either building all sorts of new stuff for for AOS or, or 40K, I guess. They're too busy to drop a voicemail, so what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. A lot going on. Yeah. So uh, I think we're going to skip all the regular hullabaloo and uh, take a break and get right into the uh, Overlord review because... That's going to be big and beefy, and we got a lot to talk about. So, why don't we take a break and come back, and uh, and we'll handle that. Sound good? Sounds great. All right, cool. We'll be back. Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is your one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your gamer may want, from board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program. Check out their events calendar, in-store or online. From Tuesday night miniature games and Thursday night board games to Friday night magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Check them out on the web at UniqueGG.com. 
And we're back. All right, yes, back, we are back with the overlords. Oh boy! So let's talk about this here book here. Um, I know we're much later than some of the other people, and if you've heard reviews before, um, you know a lot of people have tried to cover a lot of this. They've got a lot of new stuff in this book, don't they? <laughs> it's just yeah, yeah, like. In addition to like just being a new army for Age of Sigmar, it's a new format to the ar- to the battle tome. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of new things, and we haven't really seen a battle tome since this. So not sure where they're going. Well, except for well, corn came out just before this. Um. So maybe this is a thing for battle tomes going forward, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. No. I. I mean, I do like it. Um. There's just some there's some neat stuff and some stuff I definitely want to talk about uh, when we get here. Uh, loving the cover. Uh, once again, the artwork in this book is fantastic. Uh, the art book, the art throughout this book is really fantastic because obviously it's all new art. Yeah, completely new. Because uh, the overlords have not been featured in anything else before, so everything in this book is brand spanking new and uh and the artwork is fantastic it really is mm-hmm. um y- you know what's great is i've gotten to the point now where i i read through these books and i'm looking for hints and clues yeah there's a lot in this one yeah there's a lot of little drops here there and everywhere that uh i'm like oh that's that's kind of awesome mm-hmm. and it even starts like on the first page when you open it up and you see uh, Barak Nar um, fighting a bunch of undead. You see a lot of bubble dwarves, which are really cool. But on the upper left corner, they have like these undead things that don't quite look like Morgas. They don't quite look like Vargais. Um, not really sure what to make of them. So yeah, no, there's some definite. I'm not even certain what going on at this point. Mm-hmm. So. I'm just like okay, uh, ready to uh, ready to check it out here. Ready to go with it. Yeah. Oh boy. So where do we start with these guys? Well, let's uh, let's start with um, the fluff, as we always do. Naturally, um, it's short. Yeah, I mean, not to make the joke, but. Um, I was <laughs> sorry, not, not sorry. Um, I mean, it was, I was expecting a little more for developing a new army for AOS. I was expecting it to be a little more, um, fleshed out as it were, um, talking a little more about like commerce and trade life. And they talk a little bit about each of the different skyports and how it's structured with the code and everything. But I was I was left wanting more um, and kind of thinking that they would explain things a little better for this new race of Dwarden that fly, that have all these crazy aethermatic machines, which are, I mean, they're cool, don't get me wrong, but it's just kind of like I was looking for a little more development. Um, I yeah. think that was the thing that left me. And there's a lot of cool stuff in here, don't get me wrong, but as I went through this... I was like, wait a second. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of went through it, and there's 
Okay, there's about 28 pages of fluff in the beginning of this book. And if you take yeah. out all the pictures, and, and I'm not saying you should, because the pictures are great, and they add a lot to the, you know, to, to this, to this, and to this look. Um, there's about 14 pages, then, of actual text, roughly, right. uh, for a whole new race. And two of those are the little space timeline. Mm-hmm. So it's about 12 pages of text, and then the little space timeline. So... For an entirely new race, a dozen pages of fluff seems thin. Yeah. You know? I mean, and I understand that they have a lot to talk about because the code is such a big deal with these guys. And they had to dedicate a lot of time and space to the code. Um, But there was a lot more army pictures um, and heavy metal pictures in here than what I was expecting. Um. I think like that took a pretty right? substantial chunk of the book as well. So, no. I mean, and keep in mind, folks, we're not complaining. It's just this is something that we haven't seen, this kind of, like, thinness uh, since the first Stormcast book, I think. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's that's where I'm coming from. It's just it's not exactly as much as I'd like to see. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We definitely want more, and it's not that we're not ragging on the book. It's just... Right. I think that's the biggest like letdown, I think, from it, is that it just didn't measure up. Right. I mean, just... Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be disappointed, but I kind of... It's like... I just... I'm just getting... They're scratching the surface here, and, uh, you know... it. I just I didn't I didn't want them to only scratch the surface. I wanted them to go deeper. I wanted to get more. And that that's my that's my beef with this is I I wanted more. Now, mm-hmm. what we got is really cool. Okay? Oh yeah. I mean, I start right off here and you get you know this is a a great description and there's a great picture of them fighting, you know, all of these Endron riggers flying in. Um you know all the guys running, the Arcanauts running on the ground, uh, the Sky Riggers or the Sky ship, ships coming in. Um, you know, and just the description, and it it reminds me of, you know, all other Dwarden races we've seen before. You know, lots of heavy firepower, really good weaponry, advanced uh, weaponry, um, but this one, um. It's different from the old dwarves, and it really does come in unique in that, um, you know, the old. I always used to break down when when Christopher and I would would talk about the the armies. We would discuss, you know, movement and shooting and melee and armor and magic. Those five things, you know, that your your five basic things you had to look at, and dwarves had really. Great armor and shooting. They had decent melee. They had crappy movement and no magic whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys have uh, decent melee and armor and excellent movement and shooting. And once again, no magic whatsoever. Yeah, so, so it kind of flips the standard dwarf on its head. Yeah, the armor's gone a little less and then the movement's gone gone crazy 
you know, by using all of these these flying uh, uh, vehicles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there's this shift there, and that's a, that's a huge shift to have an army that suddenly is not as not as heavily armored, but can move around uh, a lot. So they're, you're not you're not going to see these guys castling up in a corner, which I think was one of the biggest complaints we used to get about about Duarden was that you would just castle up in a corner. Yeah, they would just sit there because they couldn't move. So they had to emphasize on the things that they could do, which was unfortunately shooting. Now, these guys still shoot really well, but now they can actually move, but they can't take a punch like the old Duarden yeah. used to be able to do. So it's a complete dynamic shift. You're absolutely right. So um, now when that happens now, in fact, it even says it right here. If you're looking right in the book on like on, on like page four. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and considering that, you know, page four is, is it's there's a table of contents on page two and a picture on page three. So page four is like your first page of real stuff. It says uh, uh, the Caradron overlords are a faction of the Duarden, unlike any other. Since unlocking the secrets of ether gold, they've forsaken their mountain holds and taken to the skies. There, guided by their Caradron code, they have not merely survived the age of chaos, but thrived. Now that Sigmar's armies have returned to the realms, the Caradron have, deci- have decreed that the time is right for them to end their isolation and join the fray once more. So it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> they, said, they got these guys coming in now, and they're, they're moving, and they're up in the sky. I know a lot of people didn't like this when they first saw it because there was no flesh tones. But when you read, yeah. the, when you read the, the, the story, it's like, dude, they are really high up. Like It's like thin atmosphere and all sorts of weird junk in the air. It's like they need to be completely protected. There's some really cool stuff in these like twelve pages of of uh, of story. Yeah, and it's almost like spacesuits. Um, they're that yeah. high up in the atmosphere. Never mind uh, the hazardous nature of mining for aether gold um, and all the creepy crawlies, well, freaky flies up there. Exactly. So, There's a ton of stuff up there too. That's that's one of the cool things. There's a lot of stuff up there um, that we that you, everybody else doesn't really know about because no one else is flying around up in the skies. Mm-hmm. So, um, as we get to this, the first big section is the rulers above the clouds. It says they seek to amass wealth, and they do so by trade or by war. What baffles the other races of the realms is how Caradron's approach to both ventures is so similar. Whether in battle or haggling contracts, the Caradron are ruthless and will exploit any weakness. Um, there's a huge different shift in philosophy. Uh, and like, you know, sort of like the uh, the way this... And I'm not talking about on the tabletop, okay? We're just totally talking story-wise here. Yeah. Um, their word is still their bond. Uh, but it literally says that uh, some per- poorly worded agreements will totally be exploited. Um, they are kind of rules lawyers. Um, mm-hmm. They 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 live by con- their words, but they also live by contracts. And um, depending on the the way, which skyport we're talking about, which group of overlords, um, some of them will really work to exploit loopholes. Uh, to get things the way they wanted. It's sort of a weird, they're just a weird race. Like, I'm reading this, and it talks about how 
they'll they'll fly into certain places and they'll you know they're out there they're looking for ether gold up in the skies. Apparently, there's gold in the air itself, um, sort of a gaseous form of the gold. Mm-hmm. And later in the book, they discuss like the sort of legends and ideas of where it might have come from. But they're out there trying to to collect all of the, these this, these riches out in the skies. And if they find a place that's that's got good gold or if they're a high mountaintop that's got real good resources that they need, they will they will fly in. And if there's some you know old primitive race or some group of people who have you know managed to hide out here and are scraping by, you know, because remember in the time of chaos. Uh, you know, Sigmar closed his doors and everybody else was getting wrecked. These guys avoided getting wrecked by just leaving and going up to their little skyports. Yeah. And, and it's... Go ahead. It's a different sort of mentality because these are very tech, um, very... It's a meritocracy, like very capitalistic right. uh, type mentality, whereas before they were so bound by honor by worship of the gods um and they've kind of stepped away from that and have gone more towards contractual obligations and amassing wealth it's taking that kind of gold lust to the extreme i think compared to like what we're used to with uh Traditional dwarves from workshop. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange, it's a subtle shift and it's a strange shift, but it's an important one. I mean, I'm reading this part and it's talking about how, you know, they go in there and they find some some savages, some, you know, sort of more primitive race of people up living where they want to get stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so they go flying in there and they go and they're like we're 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 claiming this land and they'll fight them then they will fight them and beat them off and take the land from them but after they've secured it that they have the land then they'll go find those people that they beat and then they will make treaties with them like mm-hmm. we're going to stay here and we're going to mine and we're going to get the things we need but we're happy to have you live here and we can work together and we can both profit from us being here like they go in to take over like because they're not they're not asking they're taking but once yeah. they've taken it then they turn around and make peace with the people they just took everything from and write up contracts and make deals with them for for trade they make deals for um you know for mutual protection you know like you will we're, we're, we're going to protect our our investment here we will also protect you and but then while we're doing other things you also need to work to make sure you know cover our backs as well so they they come to these people who maybe aren't as strong as them and they come and take it over but then they offer that it almost seems like a mob mentality like protection money it you know yeah, I'm, and I'm reading it. It's like it's it's not it, they are not. It's not like oh, we beat you now. We want to nurture you. It's not kindheartedness. This is total pragmatism. They're protecting their investment. These people are here. If we make friends with them, we won't have to constantly be fighting them, and we don't have to wipe them all out to a man either, because they're yeah, not evil. You know, it's not like we want to wipe out these people. We have no beef with them, but we're gonna we're gonna run this place, and that's that. Yeah, it's definitely peace on my terms. Yeah. It's really weird because they are, they're protecting their investments. They've gotten rid of, they've, they, they've, they've, you know, they've eschewed their, their, their isolationism, you know, because when they went up there, I mean, 
Dwarden were always isolationists. They lived under the mountains, and when when the Age of Chaos took over and they were losing and went up to the skies, they were the only ones living up there, and they lived by themselves. They protected only them. Um, as they are seeing these other races, they start making deals with them because you can trade with them, and they can become mm-hmm. more prosperous. Everything, it's it's better business. It's all about better business. They don't live in their minds anymore because they can't. So they need to like trade with others to uh, to keep things running, uh, and so they they've reached the realization that this is what needs to happen for us to do well. Um, it's just weird. It's like you said; they've gone from a monarchy, from a rule of kings, and her- a hereditary rule to this. Like you said it's a meritocracy. You know, you you work on your merit, and it's it's sort of a democratic society. Um, you know, there's rules, and you can vote things like, and that's basically what happens. So, to, to base, uh, so to 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 give the the quick the the, the brief history, and um, it's funny. The section's called the code, and you get the history of the Dewarden when you get the history of the uh, of the Caradron Code. This this defines them as a people, which I thought was another interesting thing. They're not defined. Most places are, are you know, this is the first race that is defined by this, by a contract, by a, 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 a constitution, so to speak, yeah. you know? Um, so they run up to the sky ports. The Age of Chaos happens. Sigmar closes his gates. Dwarden are getting killed left and right. A bunch of them run back up to the sky ports, and they're living up there away from the the the, the trouble. Outside of the base, you know, the, 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 the general everyday troubles of living up in these skyports, which is, you know, attacks from, from ether beasts and, and creatures living out in the atmosphere. Um, and they're small skyports, but now that they have to live there, they start building them up. And they become these huge floating cities. Um, and there's dozens of them. And they originally just all were working together relatively peacefully. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they all wanted to survive. Once it was clear that they had survived, and once it was clear that they were starting to thrive, uh, fights start breaking out between the different cities. Um, because people are greedy, and Duarden are greedy, and they're going to argue and, and fight over who gets what. Um, so enter the code. Now they got they write a set of principles they uh, they live by. And it's really interesting because this code of laws. Now they feel abandoned by Grungeny and Grimnir, and Sigmar, and Sigmar. And I'm assuming Valia is in there somewhere. I but think she's dead. I know she's dead. They're all dead, well, well, except for Sigmar. Well, no, and, but I mean, she's like literally because like Grungeny and Grimnir came back. We know yeah. they came back because they were doing the fighting, and Sigmar fought beside them and did stuff. She's never mentioned because remember, um, back at the uh, in the world that was, uh, Nagash found that hidden Dwarden um, tomb. And oh yeah, remember That's he right. busted through, and there was that that huge power, that life force in there, and he drained it all. That's I, I right. think he killed her. Yeah, because she's never been mentioned again, and that makes me sad because she was cool. Yeah, but uh, I think he killed her, and these two are still left, though. And Sigmar, 
But, you know, Sigmar closes gates. They've been praying to their gods for deliverance, and, and they're getting their butts kicked. So when they go up there, they're like, you know what? Screw all of them. You know? We have to do things differently. Yeah. And it becomes more about we're going to – it still feels very Dwarden in a way because it's like this is how we're going to operate things. This is how we're going to do things. It's going to be rigid. It is going to be unique to us. We're going to set these rules up. And they set up um, – where is the exact number? There it is. Nine articles, each subdivided into multiple different subs – or each subdivided into many sections. Therein can be found the articles of union, the seven rules of prosperity, and the 12 points of election. And then they keep adding to it. Yes. So it still feels very... That's funny that you read that. I had that part marked, too. Over time, there have been amendments to the code, although some Skyports refute them, most lo- most notably Beric Thring, which you find out later. Those are, the, those are the, the long beards. Those are the guys who the old ways are the best ways. Yeah, the very dour, traditionalist, yeah. grudgy guys. So, I mean, you still get the kind of sense that this is still a very dwarven, and very rigid system, but it's actually more fluid than that because they talk about how you can um, remove a captain or an admiral from his position of power if he doesn't do the work and then you can vote in the new leader and all he does is step down to be part of the crew until it's his turn again so this is a you have to work for it sort of thing this is like to earn it you have to keep earning it once you show that you're not if you're not it's you know it's it's like they say with with college professors publish or perish here it's produce or perish in fact yeah. i think what's what's where's that page let me look their uh prosper or die is like their slogan Barak nars motto the biggest city mm-hmm. and it's and that's what this is all based on with the contracts and it's all sort of a maritime sort of belief um if you know anything about like you know, like li- living on a ship, you know, the captain is the guy in charge and the way that those things work, that's how they set up. Th- that's basically the basis for their rules, because most of them with with the cities being so small, most of them spent most of their times in the ships. So the mm-hmm. rule of the ship is basically going to be the rule of society. And as the as the society grew bigger, they just kept the basis for this. The rule of the ship. It's like you said, there are no bloody mutinies. If you're not leading them to pr- to productive making money, they're not going to mutiny and, and kill you and throw you overboard. They're going to get together and have a vote and be like, dude, you're not getting the job done. And and then what happens to him is great. Does he get thrown in the brig? No. Does he get killed? No. He gets demoted. You're not captain mm-hmm. anymore. You're going to be second in command or third in command. Or you're going to be pr- demoted to something, some other position. And someone else on the on on the ship is going to be promoted to captain, and should they not be able to do it, or should you work hard enough and start doing things the right way, you can earn back a, a, a captain spot at some point. Like you're you're not. It's not like you're even never going to get the job back. It's just like you know what, this isn't right for you. We're we're transferring you. Yeah. Prove later that you can handle this job, and maybe when the opportunity arises, you'll get it later. But right now, you're mm-hmm. not the captain anymore. And this is the whole thing. Their entire way of life is written by this code. Um, I don't want to call it a pirate code, but it does remind me. I mean, it's it's a maritime code. It's a naval code. 
Yes, but some of definitely these guys, is. some of these guys are a little bit more Sky Pirate than Sky Navy. I mean, it literally oh, yeah. says here, even on agreed upon articles, there's room for interpretation, and some captains, particularly those hailing from the roguish Barak Mornar, are notably agile in their ability to navigate the framework of the code. Um, mm-hmm. Because they're rules lawyers. Yeah. And so they can find ways to work their way around. And like I said, they're all, they've already found ways that, you know, if, hey, look, there's, some, there's a new thing. I'm going to lay claim to it. Well, there's people here. We have no, no treaties with them, no contracts with them. We are totally okay with just going in there and taking what we want. It's very pirate-like for anybody who's not a part of the code. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very cool. Like I, I I spent a lot of time as I was reading this, kind of going through these these different ideas because they're just small mentions, but I think they're important yeah. mentions when you when you get stuff like this put in there. Um, Absolutely. So yeah. you know what? Let's take a quick break here as we've done talking about the code, and then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Ether Gold and what it is. And um, get into talking about these sky fleets and uh, and their role in keeping these uh, the sky ports alive. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll be back in just a moment, folks. Of the six major sky ports. The massive floating cities of the Caradron overlords. Baraknar is currently in ascendancy. Its fleets ply the airways from the Stratus Skull to the Outer Airs, as unrelenting in trade negotiations as they are in battle. Baraknar's motto, Prefadreng, translates as Prosper or Die. Their quest to conquer and expand has run into great opposition, but thus far they have overcome it all. Since the time of Reaving and the establishment of the Caradron Code, their fleets have been broadening frontiers, sweeping outwards, and securing more cloud mines than any of their rival skyports. In the midst of the Age of Chaos, during the Hydrox Wars, it was the fleets and the wealth of Baraknar which ensured final victory for the Caradron overlords. Today, thanks to leaders such as Lord Magnate Brock Grunson, Baraknar remains at the forefront of opening new trade routes, although the cost to secure such treacherous airways has been high. Three times has Grunson led the fleets to repel demon hordes, including breaking the blockade of Barakzon. And we are back talking Ethergold and Skyports and Skyfleets. Oh my. Uh, Ether Gold, also known as the Breath of Grunge. It's a lighter than air metal. It's sometimes a gas, sometimes a vapor. Um, When they collect it and and gather it up and refine it, it looks like regular gold, only a lot shinier. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it also has a natural attraction for all sorts of dangerous beasts. So it's yeah, a, it's a gas that's in the air that attracts all sorts of scary beasties. Yeah, and they talk about things that we haven't been introduced to. Like it talks about Chimera, which we've seen, but like Harkraken and Megalofin. And then they talk about Skavath, Skav- Skaviathans, 
Now, I don't know if that's Skaven Leviathan or... Oh, I just thought it was Le- a Sky Leviathan. Yeah, that was the other thing. It's like, could it just be that simple? Yeah. Or they talk about Harkraken, which is obviously like an octopus, I would assume. And Megalofin has to be a shark. And uh, they even have a picture of it later, I'm assuming. Yeah, that, yeah. As long as it's not something like from the sci fi channel. I don't Dude, want... do they have like Aethergold Sharknados? That would be amazing. That would be awful. <laughs> so They better have six of them. So this thing attracts all sorts of dangerous beasts in the air. Now, here's the thing, and I haven't heard this brought up on other podcasts or anywhere, and I'm reading this. I actually went back to read. I took, I'm like, when I take my notes, if I find something interesting that I want to go back to later, I'll mark like the page and the and the paragraphs. So listen to this. Um, most non most non caradron denizens of the mortal realms that know of its existence regard ether gold as magical, for it has countless strange properties. In great volumes, it causes unusual atmospheric conditions. Whole veins are shifted hundreds of miles in the blink of an eye by fierce ether storms, and coalesced drops of the precious mineral that fall from the skies induce fits of maddening paranoia in those caught in such deluges. The Caradron overlords themselves do not subscribe to the notion that ether gold is magical. Instead, they use many of their burgeoning forms of scientific research to identify and catalog the myriad unusual effects produced by this substance. So, wait, if it starts to rain, like, if it gets mixed into the rain, it induces paranoia? Yeah, and this really helps explain why they wear the crazy suits. Oh, well, yeah. Because they obviously don't want to be exposed to this because they're still going to be flying around. So, it explains a little more why they wear them, but then you still have to wonder, is this stuff getting through? And that's why they're so rules lawyery. Has that helped, like, contribute to it? Um, And then part of... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. Part of me can't help but read something like that and think of, like, the spice from Dune. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, it attracts all these crazy beasts. It's a super powerful substance that powers all of their weapons. Most of their technology is f- powered through ether gold. And then they have these monsters that show up and either try to take it or they just happen to show up because it doesn't say... It's not if they're going to attack, but when. It's the same thing with worms on uh well, Worms stay around the spice because spice is worm poop. Well, yeah. And because they attack rhythmic vibration. So anytime you get near it, it there you just walking will attract You know them. what? The principle No, no, no. I know I know, but I but I but I no, but I'm 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 I am pointing out the differences, but I'm not yeah. uh, but I can see I can see Possibly inspiration in the story writing from yeah. that. It's an because it, you it, like you, it does it attracts all sorts of beasties, um, but without giving it a, a an actual origin from the beasties. There's the differences, right. um, but no, that's a good. I wasn't even thinking about that. That's pretty good. And how it powers all their stuff because the spice is what allows for space travel. The the guild navigators breathe it and live in it. Mm-hmm. And it changes them. Oh, that's kind of a cool idea. I wonder if there is any influence there. Ding. Good, good, good point. Point for Alex. Um, wow. I love how they talk about when they find ether gold. They they sort of cordon it off, and then they sit in there to 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 get it. Um, when you have now, 
it says that when they when a fleet is small, an exploratory or prospecting flotilla sent to find new veins, it'll be con- composed entirely of warships. Although equipped primarily for battle, the ever practical Caradron use such fleets for mining and trade offers. So their warships can also do mining. And we knew this because they had all sorts of weird names on all their weapons and stuff like that, the different types of bombs and stuff that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, because of the fact that they live up in the air and everything they have is limited resources and it's very precious, everything gets used. And so things have double purposes. The warships are also mining ships. I mean, we've seen that even with the Arconauts. They have, you know, pickaxes as weapons and stuff like that because, well... Part of their mining, when they go to mountaintops and stuff like that, their mining weapons or their mining uh, tools become weapons. Their ship repair, some of these guys, their ship repair tools become weapons. Mm-hmm. Like everything is, has, has has to be multi-purposed to live like this. It's it's really strange. Yeah, um, they helped define an aesthetic with rigid like practicality. As opposed to we're just being steampunk for the sake of being steampunk. This is steampunk for purposes of practicality. Exactly. Uh, they talk about mining the ether gold. Um, extracted gas is stored within the holds of airships or in larger mining fleets within the vast hulks known as cron tankers. Uh, many convoy transport the mine material in a steady stream away from the mine heading to the skyports. This is also dangerous work. So they've got these things called cron tankers. And stuff like that. So there are even much larger ships than the ones we're playing with, but those ones aren't apparently, they don't seem equipped for battle. No. Um, I mean, they sure they have a few guns, but I just imagine these things being like whales, like yeah. uh, filter fish or something like that. Big ones that just fly through the air. And that, yeah, they load them up and send them back, and then they use the regular warships around them because they're probably big and unwieldy and don't turn very well they, they move slowly um mm-hmm. because later in the book actually when it talks about even the uh the the arconaut ironclad they talk about how that's the largest practical ship they were able to make um so when they say that there are things even bigger than it i'm like wait a minute what do you mean that that's but it, yes it's bigger but it's not it's totally used for transport like Mm-hmm. You know, trains are bigger than trucks and and bigger, than, but you don't you don't fight with them. They're purely for transport. You know, right? Um, you're not going to arm them and and send them out because they 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 pretty much have to just do one thing. But that's pretty cool. Um, oh, and then oh, here it's right in this page. Where is it? Uh, many a convoy has been smashed under the sky by raving chimera packs pulled down into sludge clouds by tentacled nightmares, or brought to battle by the aerial armies of the Grotbag Scuttlers. We've got flying orcs. Oh, no. Those are flying grots. Well, orcs. They're in the the army, yeah. Oh, no. I'm just picturing those orcs with the pirate hats on, or the big admiral caps like like the old models, some of the 40K ones, even. Oh... No, I got goblins doing that. I think that's much more of a goblin job because I think orcs are entirely too stupid to do something like this. So, the, so but so it's pure, just straight up goblins. Just why they should. I mean, it's possible. See, they seem to have been separated in the in the books, and they do yeah, call them the no, grot I think bag these scuttlers. Are grots. Just grots making little flying ships and flying them around. 
that would be very grotish because they are the smart ones. They made all of the war machines in the world that was because the orcs don't care about <laughs> little doom diver stuff dudes. Like, well, little doom divers, but even if you get like a snotling pump boat or something like that, oh my goodness, where you, oh yeah, my you do goodness. a bunch of hot air balloons powered by snotlings. I mean, that'd be adorable. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying I'd do it in a heartbeat, but get oh, on it. Oh, you know you would. Yeah, you know if that comes out, people are going to start buying the heck out of those. Oh, yeah, they'd be adorable. But in any event, getting off topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, oh, here, I guess just we, this is another part we should just go through. Uh, the Caradron, with the exception of those from Barak Thring, have increasingly come to place science above worship of the ancestor gods. However, even among the most progressive of their kind, ancient superstitions persist. Given its import to their race, many of these legends revolve around ether gold. Tales tell of how Grunjni, the great maker, gave rise to the substance as the metal dust shed by his hammer mingled with his own exhalations. Others tell of how the creation of ether gold was Grunjni's folly and the reason he came to leave Sigmar's pantheon. That, oh, again, just these little drops... Okay, so some people say it was the maker god as he was banging his hammer, the little flecks of the gold came off, and as he exhaled, it's God's breath mixed with gold. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. And some of the, no, no, this was something he made that was really that was a bad idea, and uh, you know, and it caught. That's why he left Sigmar for some reason because of this. Really, what? What was this? What? Like, oh, like they're teasing us. 12 pages, and they're totally teasing us. And it's like, so does this mean we're going to get more? I mean, okay, I don't want three Caradron Overlord battle tomes. I doubt it will ever get that. I think they're done with that crazy amount of battle toming. I mean, they did it with the, the Stormcast when they did the first one, and then they did the Extremist Chamber, and then they came out with the next one, which had everything... And let's face it, six to eight months, we're probably going to get another one. They're going to open another chamber at some point. Once they get to the new storyline, someone's going to open another chamber. There's five of them or four of them I, left unopened. Yeah. The, I'm, just, I, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. I hear what you're not saying, but just. I just. Man, I, as much as I love this this army, and it, the more I read about this army, you know, I know when we do these, we always get people. In fact, a couple of posts on the Garage Hammer Facebook page. Which folks, check it out, Garage Hammer Facebook page at Garage Hammer Podcast on Facebook. Uh, Facebook, yeah. Um, you could, uh, you know, people are like, oh, you know, I had a guy who just came back to trying out AOS after leaving fantasy for years, and he's like, I'm all in. I'm doing Flesh Eater Courts, and I'm like, yeah, like, yep, I would too. After listening to that review, it was awesome. Like, and I'm like tooting my own horn. You know, they sound great. I'm reading this, and the more and more I read this, the more and more I want to just build and play with this. Like, my Dwarden love has been so sparked over the last few days, the more I read this stuff. But it's the teases that make me just like, oh, what, where, what's next? What's What are you doing to me? What are you doing, GW? What's in the wings? I'm or sorry. the box. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in any event. So um, on the next page... Um, I personally find this interesting. They have all the different like graph or uh, different levels of the level of profit that's come out of each of the eight different mortal realms. And of course, the big ones that we're seeing are 
the areas that we've been um, with regards to the realm of metal. It took me forever to figure out what the heck fire. I was looking at when I was looking at this. Like I just was it like, took oh. me a second, and then I recognized like the Dwarden flip on the symbols for the realms of magic. And it's kind of like, yep, okay, now I'm with you. And then they got all the crazy little heads to go with it. Yeah, the um, realm of shadow. There's very little trade going on in the realm of shadow. That was the one that got me because they've t- we've talked about like Archeon and everyone sending many armies into the realm of shadow, and nothing's coming back. And it seems to be about the same way with these guys. So again, what's what's in there? Well, it's keeping track of the profits, and you look at some of the like two or three of the eight realms. And if you look at these, they almost look like tanks. Like this, like if you had like a, like a tank, a giant cylinder on its side with a yeah. big, with a big porthole door that you could close, a big round door. And there was like a little glass porthole window in the middle. And it's mm-hmm. almost like how, like how full that window is with that color of liquid from that realm is showing how much, trade is going on it's not it's not the best explanation but that's what it looks like to me yeah Um, no and that's exactly right but the realm of shadow even though it's the lowest it's only a little under half full so as far as profits go it's the lowest but there is profit happening Mm -hmm. so they're getting in there and getting out again at least to some degree i'm assuming yeah I wonder what they know, because so far we've been told little to nothing. I mean, there have been paragraphs of mention here and there, but even the people, it's like either nobody came back or the people who came back didn't really talk about what they saw. And here they don't mention it really at all, except to show that there is profit coming from there. So there are people mm-hmm. going and coming back. Yeah, that's another <laughs> tease. <laughs> oh, you guys, you with all your teases and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to take a quick segue on this one. Okay. When you flip the page and you see this awesome battle scene aboard an ironclad, um, and you see like an Endron rigger or an Endron master up on the Endron fighting off one of these crazy lizard winged things. Um, Sky serpents of some sort? I don't know what these are. Um, I mean, they're like little drakes or worms or something, but there's a lot of them. And you see, like, the cool pictures of the Thunderers, like, falling off of the ledge, hanging on, looking awesome. Um, you don't get the ship-to-ship combat or even just shooting out of the ship that you would kind of expect to happen um, in terms of game mechanics. So I look at this picture and it's like, that would be so cool to do, but you can't do it so that one well this is one ship under attack by what i count as at least five i can see five of these sky and okay they look like giant well i not quite drag i'm not dragons as you picture them uh i don't see any wings on these things i see uh, a dragon head on a long snake body with random spikes coming out of it with two arms behind the neck like two mm-hmm. or two legs with with feet and claws, but that's it. So it's, it's yeah. There's no membrane. Nope. There's no membrane, and it's just the two. It's like the the rest of it is all body into long tail. They've got two limbs and a head attached to a snake body, and they're coming at 
this ship where, where you know where it's they which these these overlords are are obviously protect you know defending mm-hmm. it is a cool picture yeah it's just like why and i do that why can't but <laughs> nope. in any other hand so, so um, let's talk about the sky fleets a little bit before we take our next break yeah absolutely um and then for this one now i'm going to be flipping ahead real quick because there is a page where it kind of maps out what the sky fleets look like as far as like composition of what it is so it's like the hierarchy of the sky lords all right that's on page 30. So, so you can kind of see what exactly makes up a fleet. Um, so I think those two probably should have gone next to each other, but that's just me. Um, but it talks about um, the different ships involved, what they're supposed to be doing, the how like the ironclads work as flagships. Um, whereas I had – there it is. The sky fleets are used to seek out ether gold and to protect those mining it. They transport cargo, and each skyport maintains patrol fleets that protect the airspace above and around the floating cities, as well as common trade routes. So, in essence, they're the very lifeblood of the overlords. So, you kind of see the explanation of what role that these guys serve, all the different ships, um, and yeah. Um, Oh, and here, and it talks about the... the, uh, the subclauses for the replacement of captains, uh, that second to last paragraph there, um, as per Article 1.6 of the code. Um, so, or no, it's wait, Article 1.6 is that they can earn themselves back, or Article 1.5, which then says how they remove a captaincy. So it has that when, granted, it doesn't really serve kind of like a purpose or explanation, but it, un- it gets a better picture of how their society operates. Yep. It is the kind of the rambly long way I went around that one and it didn't work so well. So an event. <laughs> oh boy. No, All right. Uh, now, but the, now this earlier part, the really, this once again kind of goes into the, the, the historical portion of it. And how, like you said, the sky fleet is the lifeblood of the overlords. Uh, the Skyfleet mines. Uh, the Skyfleet goes to war. The Skyfleet protects the ports. Um, and it all goes back to that early history. When they went up to the Skyports during the, t- the, the early days of the Age of Chaos, you know, they go up there and they're living up there and they have to survive. The ports are growing larger. They need more of this ether gold to keep it floating. And as they work more and more with the ether gold, um, the black powder weapons they have give way to ether weapons. Like they're just better weapons and they're powered by, you know, the, the, the ether gold. Um, and as these temporary sky forts become permanent cities, that's when they seriously begin unlocking these secrets of ether gold. And once they did that, they don't look back. Like there's no going back to black powder weapons. There's none of that stuff. Ether gold becomes. Like you said, it is. It's like the spice. Their entire society is built on it. They travel with it. Their weapons are built on it. Everything that that they have, it comes from this. So it becomes the most important thing. And the better you are at finding it, mining it, bringing it back alive, you know, uh, the more powerful you become in the society. Yeah, and even the cities and how they rule and the 
council. Um, but we'll get to that. That's a little further up. Um, oh, here's so, a, an interesting bit in the Sky Fleets, too. You were talking about the article for the crew to usurp a captaincy, and it's not a uh, riotous mutiny, but this type of stuff. Um, there's a little quote in here and from uh, Amendment 3 of the code that I like. They talk about um, you know, how, because they still hold grudges. They're still Dwarden, deep down. And it says, if a Dwarden obtains a properly signed and approved grudge clause. So if you've got, if you've got beef, you can take it to the council. And if the council signs off on it, they are given the rune of Mark and are considered exempt from all other statutes, from other statutes of the code. Not all. It just says, are considered exempt from other statutes of the code. Any plunder seized during an act of vengeance must be taken to the Admiralty's court so that Galcorn can be performed. I'm not certain what Galcorn is. Uh, That's when they divide it up. Oh, okay. So they, so they, yeah. So if you take this during your, during whatever it is, your grudges, you don't just get to keep it. It's got to be divided up properly between the proper, the proper grudges. But you can actually get exemptions from having to follow the code by, um, having beef. The, yeah. So I thought that was really cool. I thought that was really yeah. fantastic. Um, that yeah, they, and it that shows they, they still value the grudge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they go quickly over the six main cities, and we're going to cover that a little later. Yeah. Uh, the six main sky ports and, and what they're like. Um, and then the, pi- the picture shows some maps of some of the realms over there where they've got the little ether gold veins mapped out where they're going through and and uh picking up uh ether gold as they're going through. Yeah, um, and this is all in Chemon. Yeah. All six of them are there. Um and if you look at the maps, some of them even overlap, but they're broken up. Right. So you can kinda put a map together or like a bigger piece of it, but you have to like do a little bit of like work in your brain, which exactly. is tough for me. Um, anyway, and then after that, you get the space timeline. Um, and the big one on here um, for me was the blockade of Barak Zahn and the menace of Zinch. Yes. You know um, what? Let's, you know, what? let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll hit the timeline first and then get into the major cities. Cause it is a break time. And there's a couple of things in here that I definitely want to talk about because there's a, a, a whole bunch of other little little name drops and hints in here as well. Mm-hmm. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll hit the timeline uh, in detail. Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paints? Six Squared Studios. 
Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right. Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we are back with A Rising Power, another space timeline, and maybe talking about the ports. There is so much going on in this little... And it's only a two-page... Once again, a lot of these space timelines go like three, four pages. This one's two. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that they talk a little bit about... Uh, um, what have we got in here? Let's see. What have I marked down? Um... They defeat the fleets of the Great Airborne Wa. Um, that's going on. They've got the Ether Gold Gruncor. I like that Gruncor is uh, started here. Uh, apparently, Master Gunner Olgrim Grunstock, his Thunderers are such a success that he goes into business. And that's where the Gun Haulers and the Thunderers come from. They're literally, they are for hire. From his company. So mm-hmm. you've got that. Uh, they talk a little bit about the amendments. A series of short but fierce battles were fought between fleets from over a dozen skyports. Although it's notable that the ships of Barak Mornar were nearly always involved. <laughs> mm-hmm. And those guys are the guys who are like the rules lawyers and the snakes of the group. They are the more they are the most piratey of these of the six major skyports. Uh, to discourage such internecine fighting, two amendments were made to the code, despite contention from Barak Thring, because Barak Thring, um, they are the guys who don't like change. Mm-mm. And so they don't want to do that at all. Um, the other one I thought was fantastic in here is the Legend of Grunge's Forge. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so they found the Forge city of Grunge. They found it. Like, uh, wait, what? Like, that is just a quick mention of something that is so huge. This is like finding the Ten Commandments. You mm-hmm. know, finding the Ark of the Covenant. It, I mean, that's, that's, is, I mean, am I wrong? That just seems something so huge to be mentioned so quickly. They find the Ford City, find it infested and overrun by Skaven. Seven expeditions set up to reclaim the mountaintop halls or failing that salvage artifacts. Those few who returned from such ventures brought back nothing but memories so horrific they would not speak of what they had seen. So whatever's happened in there is so... They won't even talk about it. Uh, it reminds you of Karak uh, Eight Peaks in a way, yes. doesn't it? Yeah, when they go into the Underdark. Um, they found Grunge's Forge. Yeah, now that one... It seems to me like that would be such a key thing that you would probably get the rest of the ports involved. So, I mean, it doesn't even me- it doesn't mention that, so I don't want to assume that Zilfin didn't get people involved, but it certainly seemed like it's like okay, you launched seven expeditions, but 
Well, why I not mean, send the whole the whole kit and caboodle? Yeah, but wouldn't you want to be the ones to claim that one? That's not something you necessarily want to share either. I suppose. But I mean, if, if you're, you're a corporation and you're working on some new cure for some disease and you're right on the verge of getting it and you keep trying and can't get it, you don't just start farming that out to other co- corporations to see if they can crack it. And you got to think like mm-hmm. a business here. Finding Grungeny's Forge would be huge. I just think it's amazing that they found the place. Like, I'm like, what? Where's that? The, come on, store. let's have some books. Mm-hmm. Let's have a story because that's I'm like oh my god. Um, what else is in here? Uh, armies of the Man God. Um, okay, and here's this this one I liked because it goes back to the the code. Okay, uh, although they watched from far above, the Caradron overlords had thus far avoided Stormcast Eternals. Although many Dwarden had voted to aid Sigmar's cause and join the fight against Chaos. The code stipulated when alliances could be forged. They watched the failed attack upon the Ironhold that guarded the All Points and did not intervene. Only when the God King's followers began to build their cities did the Skyfleets join in the fight alongside the Stormcasts. Mm-hmm. So it's like they wanted to help, but there was nothing in their code that allowed for just going there at that time under those circumstances. So they stood back. Yeah, they have to get something out of it, even if, like, weakening chaos is a definite benefit. If there's nothing in it for them, they then they're not going to do it. They watched them fail to take the iron holds. You remember that story. Yes. That's the, that was in, um, that was in the Realm Gate, the end of the Realm Gate Wars, and that was when, uh, that was from All Gates. That's when Archeon himself showed up and started destroying people. Mm-hmm. A little more help, and they could have gotten there quicker and taken it before Archeon showed up. That could have changed the whole story, and they didn't help. Not because they didn't want to, but because they weren't legally able to do it, because this is not how the code works. I find it really fascinating. As I'm reading this, I'm like, what? Yeah, it's a very pragmatic way of looking at things even if it is to like the overall detriment but they have to follow the rules even the shady ones yeah so yeah i know you wanted to talk about the zine stuff so which ones of these stood out that were grabbing your attention well the last four all deal with zinch realistically um because the only ones of all of the armies and all of the forces that can possibly assail a skyport. The only ones that really stand out in force is Zinch because they have so many things that fly and right. move about. I mean, they often refer to screamers as sky sharks, but that was never really taken into any sort of depth. Um, but now it actually shows a, its whole armies of uh, enlightened and sky fires and uh, screamers and all these other things that fly in Zinch. So it really shows that that's probably their main opponent in any given time in like a massed air to air combat, which <laughs> is actually, you know, pretty awesome sounding. Yeah. Um, but they talk about um, the menace of Zinch, where the overlords discover a chain of crystalline sky castles near the edge of the known atmosphere 
the Geldred's fears of a Xenuchian plot in the making were well-founded. Now, we've talked in the previous, like, Disciples of Zinch uh, cover, where they're in the same kind of method. They're city-building, um, or city-taking yep. over or ruining. So as... Plus the silver these, tower and the crystal the crystal uh, labyrinth. Labyrinth, and stuff yeah. we read about. So as these guys grow, as trade and civilization grow, so does Zinch. So it's kind of a double-edged sword because now you have to deal with these guys that grow along with you as compared Zinch to just an army. Zinch is cancer within the growth of the city. It's really crazy. Right. And is it? Is it? Uh, is 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 the irony lost on anyone that uh, the 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 race that likes change the least is uh, is it seems to be their main opponent seems to be the the changer of the ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's great. Their main opponent is the is change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they even fight against Kairos Fate Weaver, um, with Barak Zan being besieged and then delivered by Barak Nar under right. the leadership of Brock uh, Grunson. And for those that aren't familiar with this particular guy, it's the balloon dwarf with the top hat and the mustache pistols. He's um, awesome, by the way. Love sure. or hate that model, that guy's story is fantastic. No, it is. And he reminds me a lot of of um, the last great king of the dwarfs from the old world. Um, he reminds me of him a Thorgrim? lot. Thorgrim? Yeah. He reminds me of Thorgrim. And just the way he acts and his whole outlook on things and the things he's doing, um, he's, he's, he seems to be... He's, very confident, very bold, um, very daring, um, not afraid to, to try different things, being a little different than, than some of the other people. There's just things in there that remind me of Thorgrim a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, they do get into an interesting, the idea of the skyports and the admiral's councils and stuff. And th- this stuff gets into a bit of minutia that gets a little confusing at times because they're just throwing around a lot of terms. Um, but if you think about it, okay, every skyport has a council, an admiral's council that runs the skyport. Of course, you know, if you get, if, if you actually make it as an archonaut, your, your dream is to become a captain and the captains become admirals of fleets. And the ad, the most successful admirals get admitted into the admiral's council for the skyport. Okay, so once again, the people who run the government of the skyports are the most successful leaders of the fleets. Everything in here is based on that sort of maritime uh, law type of thing. Um, the guilds are represented. The top six guilds are represented, and you have different different guilds. They only list a couple here. The Ether Chemist Guild, the Engineers Guild, and the Nav League, um, which are the three that you... And um, Once again, another reason where I said we're going to get... We, you know, are we going to get another book? There are six major guilds and we've only learned of three of them. Because the Nav League has your your Navigator, which is in the one of the characters, the Ether Chemists, and the Engineers, the Endron Riggers. So your your characters all fall under three of the guilds, and there's only three listed in the book. There's three that we don't really have much mention of. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but so then your admiral's council basically runs the skyports, 
And then above the Admiral's Council is the Geldrad, which is the highest ruling, you know, group, the high, the body of rulers there. Um, they are members of the six wealthiest skyports. So they have all the skyports have their own Admiral's Council. And then the six top skyports are the guys who run. They're basically, they make the rules for all the ports. Um, what's interesting is there are, um, how, how does it say here? You've got, it's the six wealthiest ports. The number of delegates provided by each is determined by capital. So how much money they have tells how many delegates they get in this thing. Uh, because once again, if everything is about being profitable, then the skyport that makes the most profit should be the ones who have the most say in the leadership because they're doing it. Profit or die. Mm -hmm. uh, one additional seat is given to a different minor skyport every 25 shifts of the Stahlstrom, the great wind stream. So I, however they measure time by shifts of wind streams up there, uh, mm -hmm. one there's an extra seat given to a different minor skyport. So there's if you're not one of the top six, somebody else is going to get the, there's a, sh a rotating seat for the other skyports. Um, you look at the money they have too, and uh, so yeah, these are all shares of ether gold, and it. I'm trying to figure out how the money works in this system because it doesn't add up. Because if you look at the bottom two, which are Barrack Mornar and Barrack Thring, um, Barrack Mornar has over twenty six million. Aethergold shares and only one delegate, whereas Barrack Thring has 173,000 shares and only one delegate. So Right, but then let's look at Urbaz has 46 million and they have two. 54 million gets you three. 100 million gets you four. I'm not exactly certain how it breaks down, but it seems like, you know, um, that sixth house, Barrack Thring... It's like, you know, the minimum is one, one seat. And if yeah. they're the sixth richest with only 173,000 shares, the other Skyports must be pitiful, you know, compared to them. Compared to Barak Nar, especially. Yeah, Barak Nar has 307 million. So it's yeah. like, oof. But that's three times Zilfin, and they have not quite doubled the seats. So, I mean, it, how it works, who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, don't under, I don't claim to understand it. Um, it almost looks like it's two per up to fifty thousand. So every twenty five, every twenty five thousand or so, or something near there, you get one. Mm -hmm. Or twenty five million, I would say, but that doesn't even work because then that wouldn't be seven. Yeah, see, because they got two for just under fifty million, and six times that they only got seven delegates. I have no idea. Yeah, that but doesn't. I don't claim to understand Dwarden uh, culture as uh, that well, um, but it. Yeah, I mean, when you think that the the spread of the six wealthiest, the five wealthiest, runs between twenty five million shares and three hundred million shares. I mean, they've got literally triple what the close, what's the second richest Skyport is. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I see, and this is the minutia that some people get bored with, and they're they're hitting the fast forward button or listening at double speed, and I'm just like, oh, I want to know about this. Yeah, and the number of delegates kind of struck me as weird because there's a total of 19 delegates then, um, between all of the seven different skyports at any given time. So 19 seems like such a really weird number to me because it's not 20 and it's not 18, but. I don't know. Nineteen sounds a little off, but well, you don't want to have. You need an odd number, don't you? If you're going to vote, an odd number works best. Yeah. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Yeah, but Um, uh, go ahead. And then under this, there's a Blanchistu picture of the ancestral hammer, um, which is this gigantic Krundhal class battleship. so they do hint at other um, larger ships because this thing is gigantic compared to what I'm assuming are other ships around it. Um, and it says right here, even at anchor, these war vessels strain the limits of Article 2 of the Code. Um, the theme seven the theme points of prosperity. prosperity. Yeah. So um, it... it- well, and that was one of the things they said when we read about the ironclads is that it's it's they're really expensive to run and and hard to keep afloat. And since you have to keep it afloat with that ether, you know, with in, you know, with the end with the endron rigs and that ether gold inside it, um, these the the bigger these ships are, the more expensive and harder they are to keep up. So I can see how you know this is this costs more than it's worth to run. Mm-hmm. But despite that, it says each Skyport maintains a fair number of these warships for times of extreme need, including Grund carriers, Bastol class mine layers, Thrungal shield ships, Torque class torpedo boats, and a great many one-off designs. So they just listed a ton of other ships we've never seen or heard of. Right. And there's a part of me that really hopes that at some point down the road we see a possible expansion for make your own ship kind of like how we used to do with the steam tank yeah. way back when with all the different options. And then you get back to the kind of dwarfish idea of make your own item. Well, now you're going to make your own airship, which would that probably be, be really cool. dope. Yeah. So then we talk a little bit about the different guilds, uh, you know, the nav league, they're the navigators. They study the winds and do all that stuff. The ether chemists, they're the guys who, uh, really fashion ether gold into and refine it and and use it in both weapons and tools. And then you have the engineers guild. Um, all skyports have guild run engineering academies, um, and those guys are important because uh, they serve the ships as endron riggers and and eventually endron masters. These are the guys who build and fix the ships. Uh, mm-hmm. and while they're flying and oftentimes oh, yeah. during battle. So, yeah, these guys are crazy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and then each one of these, like, guild marks is the helmet of the particular character that has that kind of uh, that association with the guild. Right. So even in their war gear, they maintain representation. I do like the Ether Chemist Guild, like the sides of this of the the symbol. It's all the little the little uh, slots for the rebreathers and the gas stuff. 
Mm-hmm. It, yeah, no, it's just it's so it's so good, but all of it's a tease. It's yep. so little information. And then we talked about the Skyport structure, which you touched on a bit. Um, you know, they've got all, and it kind of breaks it down how the hierarchy works. Uh, the frigates and the ironclads are the, the main, the biggest part of the, 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 the fleet. Um, sometimes, you know, um, you got the gun haulers, the hired escorts. And those are pretty cool because that's, that's interesting because they're not, in fact, when we get to them later, there's a little info on them, but you kind of hire them out as, as, as protectors. And dude, if you read the fluff on these guys, they're not just hired to, to help protect the convoy. These guys literally will put themselves in between the enemy and their ships, if that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. It's some pretty cool stuff. And then you've got like the sky riggers who are, you know, those are the guys on the balloons. Yep. Who are flying behind the ships and they're quick to go between the ships, focus their fire, do stuff, protect stuff. It's it's a great little setup. Um, and then we've mm-hmm. got all the paint schemes. And uh, after that, then we get to the important stuff, which now we're to um, the actual, the fluff behind the actual units. Mm-hmm. And let's talk a little bit about Brock Grungeson. Sir Topham Hat. <laughs> His dad did not make it as an Arcanaut. No. Uh, he worked on the docks because he was training to be an Arcanaut and was not picked. And as we'll talk later, if you're not picked after three rounds, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he worked on the docks and told his son all the tales of the Sky Fleet adventures and stuff, all the stories of the tales of things he wished he was able to do. And this that hearing all these stories from his dad about how this is the greatest thing in the world to be, he just determined that's what I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. And um, so from there, you know, he goes to Arcanaut training and he is picked up right away. Within a decade, he becomes a captain, which is really fast for 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 the Dwarden. Um, and very soon he is named the Lord Magnet of, of his Skyport, which is the, the, the highest rank that anyone in the city of the Skyport can achieve under the Admiral's Council. He's not an Admiral yet. He can't be on the Admiral. He's not on the Admiral's Council. But he's the Lord Magnet. He's like the, the top guy in town who's not on the Council. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. Um, they also point out that he is closing in on the Admiral's Council seat fashion. So you get six guys on the Admiral's Council, I think they said. It's like six or seven guys. And how you make the Admiral's Council is if you, if your home port is this Skyport, the Admirals who bring in the most money get to become part of the Admiral's Council. Um, he's only been doing this for a couple of decades and he's closing in on a seat. These guys who are on here have been doing this for at least a century. Some of them two centuries. They live a long time, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, in a matter of a few decades, has amassed almost enough to unseat one of them and become a, a member of the Admiral's Council. But he is all sorts of awesome. In fact, as he's out there doing all of his stuff, all of his awesome daring do, he commissioned... His suit, the, the, his, his, uh, 
Endron suit uh, with the top hat. Apparently, he got some sort of honor where he can wear that sort of that that sort of hat is a it's a Zach Topper, yeah, Zach Topper, yep. And uh, sure, he gets to wear that. So he had one made as part of his suit as well, so that he, yeah, he don't he doesn't just wear it when he's home. He wears it all the time. He had the guns built into the to the beard because your beard is a symbol of your wisdom, your respect, your power. Why not put guns in it? Um, everything on that is custom. His his basically his chain sword, which is basically what it's like. Uh, that gun of his, that multi-barreled gun of his. Uh, all of it is it's it's all a custom rig that he spent his money on. And where you it, you think it's funny, you think they don't want to spend too much money because it's how much money you have and you're making that that denotes, you know, getting their spot and becoming who you're supposed to be. And he's like, "Nope, I need this. I'm spending because this is this is going to help me do what I need to do." Um, and it's it's just he's just awesome. Yeah. Now the hat. Um, it has the master and a kingship on it. Yep. Um, which I thought was a nice nod for a race that's supposed to be like moving away from like the traditions and how things used to be to still have something reminiscent yep. of the world that was and then their old ways. That's that's probably my favorite part of this model and how he goes together, never mind that it's on a top hat. Um, but no, he's cool. And his personal code is to the victor, the spoils. Um, so he's, he's the guy and he's the only like named character in this whole group, which is fine. It's just like, okay, so we're going to make him the coolest guy that we can. And he plays very much lead from the front. And that's how they kind of build up admirals to be in general, um, is that they lead from the front, even for a, army that's primarily shooting they still want to get in there they still want to cut it up and he's got he's probably one of the better combat characters that you can get and like, which period. is why he had that that suit built because now he can fly in and jump in it says some of the tactics he like he's perfected the art of landing amidst the melee dropping his not inconsiderable weight of, of his one dwarden flying suit right on top of his target while slashing around him with the blade from his ethermatic saw mm-hmm. um he gives he basically he he's on the boat, you know, he's on the the flagship. He issues the commands to his captain, says this is the plan and then he takes off and says now get the job done and trusts his captains to do the job and flies off with the guys right into the the heat of battle. Just just kicking butt. Yep. Uh, it's fantastic. It really is. He's he's a mm-hmm. he's a great for for this race, this is a he's a great hero for this for this type of uh, for this type of uh, story. Absolutely. Um, um, and then we get into admirals and the warrant officers, which is the admiral, the chemist, the engine master, and the navigator. So we've kind of talked about each one of them, what they do, mm-hmm. um, a and- little bit already. And admirals, and but an interesting thing is, once again, admirals and captains are chosen by the fleet council from the skyport. So you're mm-hmm. you're the guys on your on your ship apparently can can vote to make you a captain. Like if you didn't, if they didn't trust the other captain, 
But it seems that when you get back, that still has to be ratified by the council because it's the council, the fleet council of the Skyport are the guys who actually, you know, you know, uh, make the give the admirals and captains. You know, they're the guys who legit give them their their titles. Um, and they're generally badasses who lead from the front. Those are the guys who yeah. get those gigs. Um, yeah, they are the first to the fight. Yep. And then all of your technicians and specialists, like you said, are listed as warrant officers. They are not elected. They are given contracts approved by their guilds. So if you need these guys in your fleet, you have to go to the guilds and guild and hire them. So mm-hmm. I wonder, are these guys who didn't... So these are guys who didn't make it and in the Arcanaut fleet originally? Or did they try out for that and get picked up by the guilds? Or do they just go straight to the guilds? Because yeah, that's seemed, a really good question. Yeah, um, it doesn't seem like they went to Arcanaut school, although you'd have to be able to do that stuff. Yeah, I mean, they probably did, like, Arcanaut, Arcanauting 101, um, and then they got picked up for, you know, their specialized classes and degrees. That's what I'm guessing. So, Maybe I missed some of that. While they were training, they, they, they realized these guys had a talent and took them there instead of just yeah, going no, to straight Yeah, no, I didn't see it. Arcanaut. But, I mean, that's not to say that it doesn't happen. So, so. but... Either way, these guys have their own special things that they do. Um, the chemists, and they all have a place on the command chart. Yep. Well, and they're all important. If you look at this, the chemi- the ether chemists are your high tech guys. They've literally got stuff that helps them to sniff out ether gold, mm-hmm. which I thought was, which at first I was like sniff it, but then I re- remembered the fire slayers. And yep. Their guys can literally smell, uh, smell ur gold. So mm-hmm. now these guys, they said you can't see or smell ether gold, but these guys have advanced uh, the tech in their stuff that they can actually sniff out ether gold. Uh, they also use that stuff. They make poison weapons. They make po- they make they make the gases into either poison weapons or stuff to boost their own weapons power, mm-hmm. which is where you get the whole chemist thing with the extra shots in later in the in the rules. Right. Um, Endrin Masters, they are the guys who keep the ships running even when they're uh, miles up in the air. We talked mm-hmm. about that. And then the navigators are your map makers. They actually, it says they can influence the wind and can call upon etheric currents to disrupt spells from enemy yeah. enemy uh, wizards. Because science beats magic. Yep, apparently. And we've always talked about like the winds of magic. Um, in previous editions of the game, and this plays right back into it. Yeah, so they've got the ether. What, yeah, wins. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, I love this so much. All right, so we get through all of that, and let's, you know, we've gone about a half hour. Do we want to come back and talk about the ships and stuff? Uh, or do we want to just keep going for a little bit? I, I, I'd rather take little the- breaks than... Yeah, there's only a couple of things. There's only like three pages of information we have to cover from here. Ah, let's just keep going for it. Let's just yeah. get this done then. Um, so after that, it goes kind of down into the command structure with regards to what the central tenant of each fleet is. So the next rung down from that map that we saw is the Ironclad and the Skyriggers. Um, so the Ironclad is like the crown jewel of the fleet. Um, it's the biggest of the ships. The thing is gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, all the guns are better. It can issue commands. 
to other ships through like the communication devices very similarly mm-hmm. to what actual warships do. Um, and it can carry a lot in either its holds or in its crew compartments. Um, yeah, and here's where that thing we've been talking about says, To date, the Ironclad is the largest vessel routinely seen in the air fleets. Such size mm-hmm. restrictions are not by choice, but because of necessity. It was long believed by shipwrights that the Arconaut frigate was as large as a craft as could be held aloft with a single buoyancy engine. And multiple engines made fuel consumption prohibitive. However, Dwarden ingenuity should never be underestimated. A more powerful engine and highly refined ether fuel allowed for incremental gain in the tonnage that could be lifted. So that's why they've got a much larger engine uh, uh, rig above it, a buoyancy engine. Um, mm-hmm. But so they didn't even think you could make a ship this big uh, that would fly uh, reasonably on one rig, which leads me to wonder why would, you know, with, what about those other ships that we talked about, the really huge ones? Like, what do they fly on and how are they economical to fly? I'm assuming maybe they, they're just big and they have the things to fly with, but that's, you know, you have to be able to move cargo. So the the value of the cargo outweighs the cost of all the, the flying it. Right. Um, but yeah, this is, these are the ships. Although I do like the hints at the larger ones. I just, I'm, I'm, it makes me wonder what's going on. Um, and of course this guy, these things are bristling with tons of weapons. Mm-hmm. Too. Um, and then if you can't talk about the ironclads without talking about the sky riggers. And right. Yeah, and those are the guys who have back-mounted ether engines, which are the the, the the guys with the balloons. Yeah, the bubble pack guys. And Skyrigger um, refers to two different troop types. It's the engine riggers, which are the ones with the saw arms, um, and yep. they repair ships. They work in the engine riggers or in the engineers guild, um, fixing the ships. And then the uh, they do that airborne flying wherever they need to, or they can go into combat, riddling the foe with red-hot rivets or slicing through armor, flesh, and bone with their whirring saw blades. So is- their rivet guns that they use to repair the ship are their weapons for these guys. It's just, uh, once mm-hmm. again, the practicality, I love it. Yeah. Um, and then the second class of Skyrigger is the Sky Warden, which is like the elite aerial cavalry. Um, and these guys um, are definitely more about uh, finishing off targets um, and doing so very quickly. So they're kind of a fast response unit. Yep. And thank um, you for saying cavalry. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently. I've added some more of the 40K podcasts to my to my list because I've been interested in that. And people keep saying cavalry, and it drives me insane. And I'm sorry to completely sidetrack on this, but... You said cavalry, and I didn't even have to correct you and go back and re-edit it because you can speak proper English because it's cav, not calv. I hate it. I'm sorry. Rant over. It's all good. Uh, Sorry. So um, they have those, and these guys can basically, like, and this, the Skyriggers too, they can hook on to the ironclads or frigates and kind of tail behind them, so it's almost like the frigate is holding 
a balloon well, set of doors. Yeah. Well, okay. So the the Endrin, which is the the the, the balloon pack. For them to fly with it uses energy. Apparently, mm-hmm. uses it uses it up. Now, just to just to, to 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 stay afloat doesn't cost much energy, but to start moving around apparently and jetting around with it does. So they can just stay afloat and basically sit in idle without burning a lot of gas by just latching on, and they're not weighing the ship down anymore because they're floating. So it's just pulling them, mm-hmm. just pulling them along until it gets to the point where they need to go, and then they cut loose and fly around and do what they need to do. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's very thematic, and it actually like makes it makes a lot more sense, especially when we get into like the rules section of it. But these guys, I don't think they get the same kind of rep as some of the other things that we're going to talk about later do, but they're definitely like the elite warrior unit. Um, I think they're cool. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, now, can I just point out, we've got another little sidebar here where they're talking about the thing again with you can vote out your captain. Yeah, I was waiting for that. And they're using these words. Now, you can be at a full vote of the Tromrod. Tromrod literally means the bearded council. The eldest, wisest, or simply longest bearded individuals in a group because age and experience and beard length are much venerated. So you call these guys together and they call what's called a Krencha Gorogna. Okay, a Krencha Gorogna is called. And what is that? It literally means leadership driving us to a place of no alcohol. So when you, when, when the captain's not producing, the literal translation of the problem with the captain not producing is we're going somewhere where there's no booze. Mm-hmm. Because there's still hard-drinking dwarves, or dwarden, I should say, sorry. Deep down, they are hard-drinking dwarden. And what? how are you ruining our lives? You are taking us to a place with no alcohol. Mm-hmm. That is the equivalent of you sucking your job. Yep. It's... Oh, it's brilliant. It is just brilliant. I love it. So let's see what's next. Now, the frigates. And, okay, this is interesting, too, because when I've tried to write up lists, I find that my list often might have a frigate, but I've never really found a list that would include an ironclad just because of points cost. And when you're trying to keep it point-wise, you're trying to keep it down. But it says the frigates, you know, it's it, this is the perfect balance between size and power. And this is the backbone of the airports. They use frigates more often than anything else. The gun haulers are hired to protect cargo. They have a very specific job. Uh, the ironclads, are, like you said, are crown jewels in the fleet, and they're sent out uh, on, on really large fleets will send one out. But most of the time, the job goes to the Arcanaut frigates, um, mm-hmm. which I think is just great. Uh, the, the, the balance of speed... Transport capacity and firepower is just this. This is it. This is your perfect ship, um, and I like that. Uh, the, the The cargo holds are tiny compared to the ether hulks or cloud draggers, dredgers used for mining. You know those craft don't have very many weapons, and it's just they move at a speed that can barely cause a flag to ripple. Um, but. Oh, you know, among these, only the Arcanaut Ironclad bears more firepower than the frigate, and it's not as quick and agile and nimble as a frigate. So, if you've got a frigate, folks, you're the workhorse of of the 
of these fleets. Um, and then we get to the Arcanaut companies. Um, they are dangerous but profitable. And uh, it's it's just, uh, I'm reading this, and I like the Arcanaut. You know, it's so funny because they're, they're the basic characters, and everybody talks about all your heroes, and people like to talk about the Thunderers, but the Arcanauts really are. They're just your they're sort of your sort of generic guys. They're the backbone. They're the sailors. They're mm-hmm. your, they're, they are your Navy. And, um, and it's great. Um, so basically, if you want to become uh, an Arcanaut, now not everybody can be, okay? It's so funny because they, when you play it and and when you look at the people when they talk about you know writing their lists they're the they're your battle line troops right and yeah they're every, the backbone yeah and everybody but everybody talks about the same thing you take your minimum requirement of arcanauts and then you try to take all your cool special stuff um but arcanauts at least in their society these guys are elite mhm um I love this part. It's the whole last part on page 47. Uh, they're not yep. just able bodies. It says, on the day of Brynruf, when the sun shines gold over Shamon, or Shamon, however you pronounce it. I wish somebody Shamon. Would. Shamon. Uh, the different Arcanaut Academies in every Skyport hold a six-day competition. Only the highest achievers are allowed into Arcanaut Academies. So you got to go into a six-day contest just to get accepted into the Arcanaut Academies. And that's where Air Fleet veterans conduct military drills and teach aeronautical skills. And then on muster press days, captains show up, observe the drills, and may choose to recruit, recruit uh, new members by purchasing contracts, often to fill the places that have become available through death or injury. Every one of these guys who's recruited, you're not drafted, you're recruited, you get a contract. If you do your job well, you earn a share of the profit. The better you do your job, the more honors and rewards you get, the bigger your share of the profits can become. Eventually, you get noticed and move up the ranks. Um, those selected join the companies uh, will endure any number of rites and rituals sacred to their new fleet, ship, or both. Those passed over after three muster presses must instead settle for lesser positions, often in mining or fishing vessels or as dock workers. So... If the muster press happens once a year or once a season or once a whatever, if you're not chosen three times, you're done. Mm-hmm. You no longer get to try out. So these guys are the top guys uh, in their groups that get chosen to be Arcanauts, which I thought was really kind of cool because as people seem to consider them, you know, we, we, it's the, the stuff you have to take, you know, the battle line tax. Um, they're they're not that expensive, and they're still pretty decent. Mm-hmm. And at least yeah, story they, wise, you know. Yeah, I mean, they have their place, and they in the storyline they seem to punch a lot more above their weight. Um, and they want they're the one they're the guys that want to be better than where they are. It's that meritocracy, like we were talking about earlier, right? But they have the best rule for it, where they get better when they go after the big important things. Yes. So. Yeah, and it, we'll I, once again, the rules mimic the storyline. Uh, yep. And then the last thing we've got is the Grunt Corps, which is 
Um, the Grunstock Company, sometimes called Gruncore. They're the guys who make the gun haulers, and those are the guys who get hired and trained and become thunderers, Grunstock thunderers. Um, so the gun hauler is basically a weapons platform with two Dwarden, one driving and one shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're fast, they're quick, they fly around through things. Um, uh, when you get them alone, they're really dangerous, but when you get two or three of them together and they all focus fire on the same thing, they take stuff out. Yeah. Um, and it literally says that the protection of the fleet is paramount to the Grun pilots because these guys, it's weird. They're Arconauts who got hired. They, they were, they're, they got hired as Arconauts and then the Grun Corps hires them and then trains them extra and they have the best weapons and the best equipment and the best of everything. And then they just get hired out to, they get contracts to protect and be a part of these fleets. In exchange for a percentage of the of the profits, um, it says literally the Grun pilots in a in desperate need will steer their craft to interdict enemies or even absorb incoming fire. Um, and that's actually in the in the in the rules too mm-hmm. that these guys can take wounds instead of the big ships if they're nearby because they will literally jump in between because they've been hired to protect the ship and if they don't protect the ship. The company loses face, and they don't make the profit. Right. So their lives are not worth as much as making sure that the that, that the ships are protected and that the profit flows. It's, you know, profit or die. Yeah, and these guys are mostly die. I mean, I can't imagine how much they have to pay them to do this, but it's, again, living up to expectations and exceeding expectations. Yep. Which is... Very Dwarden, very Overlords. Um, and then the other part is the elite Grunstock Thunderers, um, which is like the militarized formations. These are the highest standards of discipline and marksmanship, and they get all of the crazy guns. Um, and these are one of the units that is unique where they can like mix weapon options and everyone's a specialist essentially yep. in these like thematic teams. I really see like a unit of these guys really playing well in like a skirmish setting yeah. because yeah. then they actually act like individuals as compared to a squad where when you play the game, you want to focus on one particular thing and it's like, but that's not what they're there for. These guys are there to be the Swiss army knife. Um, to have the right tool for the right job. Unless you're talking it. tournament list, and then you just give yeah, at yeah. least half of them the, the mortar, and you're done, and it's like, blah, blah, oh, blah, yeah. don't do that, come on. But, no, these are a good thematic unit, and they have a lot of different options. And then the thing that gets me is they have a tradition where they get accompanied by an aethermatic bird known as a drill bill. And there's a picture of one earlier, and it looks like a hummingbird. Um, but instead it's got a drill for a beak and I don't know how this little thing works. It almost reminds you of like, uh, what's the golden owl from, uh, Clash of the Clash Titans. Of the Titans. Yep. Yeah. It's like Bill, I think it was Bilbo. No, was the Bilbo's the, Bilbo's. No, I understand this, but I thought his name was Bilbo. I don't think it was. Yeah. But that's what he reminds me of. And it's just a cute little bird that helps defend the unit. Um, so, I don't know. I so, thought these guys... That's... Yeah. 
That's our 12 pages of fluff plus our extra six pages of character explanation. Two hours. Jeez. Yeah. There's a lot. This is a big but there's episode. A lot of, but there's so much little... There's so many little hints, so many little things in here that it's like this story is fantastic. It seriously makes me want to play them so bad. I mean, everybody knows Dwarden are my first love. I played nothing but them for the first few years I played this game. And now they've got this new race, and it's awesome. And the stuff looks great. And it's like, oh, I need to finish painting these Stormcast because I bought them, and they're half done, and I promised myself I would finish what I have before I start something new. But it's like I keep looking over at my overlords and thinking, well, let me at least get these characters done, and maybe some of this other stuff I'll kind of put to the side and just build later as I need it for for lists because I just want to build some giant forces of the overlords. Um, Totally time for a break. Over time for a break. Uh, And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit because, like, they talk about the skyports, and we're going to skip the special rules for the actual skyports off the bat because I want to jump ahead a little bit to they they have a list of the um, some uh, battle plans. Mm-hmm. Have you read the little stories behind these battle plans? I want to talk about the battle plans really quick before we get into the rules for them. And then we'll get into the, the meat of the rules for everybody when we get done with that. So let's take a break and when we come back. Uh, that's what we'll do. Hey, everybody. Uh, I don't have a reading or a commercial this break. I just want to let everybody know that starting on Fridays, if you are local or close to local, uh, Unique Gifts and Games this summer is going to be having Friday Night Warhammer. That's right. Friday Night Warhammer. Um, I will be there almost every Friday night at this point. Uh, I'm going to be there. Uh, Luke, Luke Fritz, who's been on the show several times, he's also going to be there. Uh, Harrison will probably be working. But we are going to be at UGG playing Warhammer. I'm going to bring Age of Sigmar, and I'm going to bring my 40K. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's Warhammer Fridays. Bring whatever you want. If you're local, come by and... Uh, you know, get a pickup game, paint some models, do whatever. But at Unique Gifts and Games this summer, Friday night, is Warhammer night. And I hope to see you guys there. And we're back again. Here we are. Back for more with the Overlords. Okay, now... Forces of the Overlord starts on page 90, and it talks about, you know, allegiance abilities and battle traits and stuff like that. Uh, I want to jump ahead, like I said, to the battle plans really quick. I mean, jump. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a bunch of different battle plans. Like, for the last couple of books, we've only seen, like, two in each one, and there's, like, five or six in here? Five. Five battle plans. Uh, they're all very unique. They're they're they are definitely asymmetrical battle plans. Um, but I just I, I'm reading the little stuff in italics before the, the stories behind this, and you know when you read the stuff for chaos, it's always like we must destroy everything in the name of corn or zinc or you know flim flam. Um, flim flam. A don't make fun of flim flam. Um, this isn't the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, buddy. <laughs> that's right. 
Uh, well, you know, first you get the pudding, and then you get the kid with the purple shirt that runs real fast, and he's always pulling the flim-flam. Um, sorry. I guess Bill, <laughs> Bill Cosby impressions is inappropriate nowadays. Oh, yeah, that is definitely um, Anyway. <laughs> but these, it's just like, I mean, some of these just, they, they seem mean. It's like, really? That's yeah. what you're doing? Like, and it goes back to that whole, we'll come in and kick your butts and then later make treaties with you so that you can still live here and take care of stuff. And we will protect each other's investments. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one's called Stake a Claim. And there's the Defender's Territory. And you play this one the long ways on the board. Yep. You get 12 inches on the one end of the board. They get 12 inches on the on the far end of the board. And just outside of their territory is this contested territory, which is like a two-foot by two-foot square uh, just outside of their deployment zone. And you're coming in to take it. And if you read this, it's like uh, the Duarten know what commerce, the commerce is life, and there can be no commerce without goods. So it is that the Sky Fleets leave from the city ports to find new territories rich in resources, armed to the teeth, so that their claim can be defended from any rivals. Resistance is common, and it's rare that these expeditions are completed without significant casualties. But the successful admiral can expect to see rise significantly in their can expect to rise significantly in station on their return. This battle plan enables your Caradron overlords to make bold strikes into a new territory, fighting to claim a land for the enrichment of their city against whoever's holding it. And then you get to the objective, and it says the key to a successful claim is establishing a strong military foothold in the territory you mean to assert control over. Identify the most tactically important position and take it, whatever the opposition. Your warriors know that your advancement, and by extension their own, depends on their performance in this battle and will fight all the harder to be recognized, and should and you should capitalize on this zeal. And the defender's objective comes in there. It's like, by great effort, not to mention a great deal of blood, you and your predecessors have managed to hold this land against all that the mortal realms have so far thrown against you. Now that could all change. Acquisitive, uh, a, yeah, acquisitive interlopers descend from the skies to take everything you have fought so hard to protect, all for simple material gain. Their greed cannot triumph over your ancestral connection with the land. Repel them. So... Yeah, hey, look, we found something that's worth having. So the whole option is go in there and take it. That's it. Just go in there and take it from. They take this area from them because we need the money. We need the resources. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay. And then the next one, um, here they've hired themselves out. Not above hiring themselves out as mercenaries to those of sufficient coin, the overlords have grown rich, offering their swift vessels and devastating weaponry to the highest bidder. Assassinations, uprisings, and conquests have all been achieved with the aid of these airborne warriors. This plan lets you fight a battle between the overlords and their designated target. Aware of their predicament, the target has surrounded themselves with the most able forces they have at hand, and their life hangs in the balance. So... Yeah, for and your objective for a truly outrageous sum, the buyer has secured the services of you and your warriors to eliminate a hated rival. Get the job done and get it done quickly. There's nothing to be gained by taking your time. Your target is surrounding themselves with the best warriors they could afford. And I'm like, what? And then the 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 the, the person who's not playing overlords, there's a price on your head, and word has reached you that the overlords mean to collect. And so, like, they mean to kill you. You'll have to fight past your defenses and get you to your finest warriors. So here they just took a contract to, to kill you. 
what's the third one? The third one. Um, oh yeah, this is you. You had a grudge to settle, and um, when they have cheated, they've been cheated in a trade agreement. Their territory has been trespassed upon, or they've been defeated in battle. The party that is wrong them should spend the rest of their lives looking over their shoulder. It's not a matter of if, only a matter of when. Vengeance will come for them. This battle plan is used this way. And so you're going there, find your enemies, ensure that all that survives of them is memory and a tale of what happens should you wrong the overlords. And you look at the wrongdoers' objectives. You always suspected this day would arrive. These unscrupulous privateers would come after you and yours, crying vengeance for that imagined slight, the details of which have all but faded from memory. Well, this will not be the day of revenge that you have that they have so fondly imagined. Your forces will set them back to the skies, bearing a message that you're not to be troubled. So these people don't even know why they're being attacked. They just know that the overlords are pissed at them for some reason. And someday they'd become... They don't even know why. They're like, oh, here they come. We knew they'd come someday. And here they come. Those evil sky pirates. It's like, wait, what? Like the... um. Like the fourth one, I actually like. It says sometimes when uh, uh, you know when a ship is downed, most of the crew dies, but sometimes the crew lives and manages to send back a message that hey, we're still alive, and then a rescue, uh, a rescue is is put together, and mm-hmm. um, basically the ship has been downed, and you're sitting in the middle protecting all the gold and all the stuff that was on your ship. And waiting for a rescue team to come to get all the ether gold and you guys to safety, and they have to sit there and keep this thing secure. It's another one of those. I'm sitting in the middle and I'm surrounded by enemies. And type uh, of scenario, yeah, and stay alive long enough for for to be rescued. I mean, that's the first one where they don't come across as total jerks when they're the victim role. Yeah. And then uh, mm-hmm. the last one is called Acquisition. Um, uh, though they are, for the most part, honorable and always act in accordance with the code, there are occasions when a target is so tempting, a loophole is found to justify an attack that might seem to others be a, more than a little piratical. Um, this raids have a straightforward aim, seize the loot. The code rules that acquisitions made in an attack of this kind belong to whoever claims them. So for an ambitious Dwarden, it's a great opportunity to advance their standing in a single bloody battle. So after a quick conference with your officers, you're certain this raid is permitted under the terms of the code. With that settled, your target, an army unaware of its plight and bearing great riches, lies before you. All that remains is a signal of the attack. Um, and this is one of those where they've got the, uh, the 12-inch stripe down the long center of the battlefield. And you've got the two and a half feet on either side, or the foot and a half on either side of them, both sides of the thing, and you're just piling in, and you're ready to come in and uh, and attack them. Your agents have spread word of this journey you have embarked upon, seeding tales of great wealth and an army unprepared and unable to defend itself. This is a cunning ruse. Your intention is to draw out any enemies that would seek to capitalize on your perceived weaknesses and then turn the very artifacts that lured them out against them, dealing with them once and for all. Your scouts have reported that the first vessels have been spotted in the skies. Prepare to destroy the attackers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know I just ran through just the scenarios, and I'm not even talking at all about the, you know, what what the actual gameplay works like. But, man, like, these are, 
none of these scenarios are like, oh, the Karadrin are out there doing a, the good fight. Fighting, there are they are taking what the hey, there's money to be made out there, and I'm gonna go get some. Mm-hmm. I mean, am I the only one who sees it this way, or I mean, am I crazy? No, and all of these scenarios and I like build that kind of mentality into them. Um, even like the rescue mission. Um, I think the big thing that finds that I get with all these is these are all very like mission esque versus we were walking in the woods one day, found two hell cannons and found another army to fight. (laughs) Um, so they have a lot of narrative to their background, not just here's a cool scenario you can play. Even these scenarios provide identity to this army. Yeah, that's true. But they just, they don't come off. I mean, I know they're on the side of order, but gosh, talk about the most neutral of the order armies that I could picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are in it for them. Yeah, and you wouldn't expect that. From a Dwarden. You would expect that more from like a Darkling. Um, right. It's like an elf. Because, you know, elf. But. Exactly. No. Again, these are. It's a different mentality for a Dwarden. Um, so. Do. How do we want to break up the code? Because this is where we start to get tricky. Well, before we do that, uh, if we keep jumping along, before sure. we even get to the code. Or actually, it's after the code. Before we do that, let's do one last thing. Jump up to page 120 with me, would you? Jumping. Fighting battles with your Caradron overlords. They talk about here to collecting an army. And an open play, there's no limits. Just, you know, put your stuff on narrative play. Takes the action. Um... And the more, then there's matched play. Then it says theming your army. Mm-hmm. And it literally talks about, you know, buying and, you know, painting and building the models that you like the best and to find sort of a, a theme or an idea that runs through them. And they give you a couple of examples here. Um, that you've got Grunge, Grunson's Gauntlet. Um, you know, this collection is a very simple thing. Everything can fly. This is a Brock Grunson army. Mm-hmm. And so he's in it. Uh, there's an ironclad, two frigates, four gun haulers, two units of sky wardens, and a unit of Endron riggers. Um, everything in this army can fly. It lends itself well to open or narrative play battles. It's a bit of unusual army and a challenge to face. So they're literally giving you different... I mean, these are not legit battalions, like from the battalion section, but this is just if you come up with different ideas. They got a Barrack Mornar, Privateers. Um, yeah, we've already talked about that fleet a little bit, you know? And this one's an actual battalion. Um, they just don't mention it. It's a Grunstock Escort Wing. Yeah, they actually, um, yeah, it says right here that's, yeah, with the units here form a Grunstock Escort Wing. Yeah, there it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it, it kind of explains kind of like how it works, why it makes sense for them. Um, 
And then the last one, Ironheart's Exploratory Expedition, which, okay, alliteration, um, that one is an actual legit match play army. Um, it's small, but um, it kind of explains how things work, what you're supposed to do with them, um, and kind of take it from there. Now, obviously, it doesn't tell you how many guys in each unit, how to kit out each one of your things, but it's just this is an example of what you could do. And this one utilizes the Iron Sky Squadron, which is essentially frigates and Arcanauts. Three frigates, so. each with a unit of Arcanauts in it. So you beat your battle line list there, too. What I think is interesting in here is it does give you an idea of what, like, what the roles of each part are, though. It doesn't tell you mm-hmm. how to kit them, but it does give you hints on how to play them. You know, right. and how they, you know, they can be- begin the battle embarked, uh, though they'll be, uh, less maneuverable to you lighten the load uh you can feel this actually says you can include two artifacts of power enough for both of the heroes because you only have two heroes listed because mm-hmm. you know you've got that going uh back to the privateers one i like this one because uh, it actually talks about even though you said it's a legit that's a legit battalion um it says uh it can include an extra gun hauler and there's synergy between the skyport's abilities and that of this battalion the lack of a hero lead, uh, to lead them only emphasizes the unconventional approach. The result is an army that can be move quickly and hit hard, perfect for an ambush. An opponent would be hard-pressed to survive, and you could create your own narrative play battle plan that reflects that, in which the overlords only win if they can entirely destroy their enemies. So there's mm-hmm. all sorts of... I mean, I haven't seen this in any of the other books, because look at the next page. Deployment and tactics. It's literally talking how to deploy... Your uh, your army, keeping them close, deploy them with the guys on the ship. Um, you know, uh, keep them a little bit farther apart. Deploy them right on the ground already, and not in the ships. Um, I mean, deployment and tactics is crazy. They literally go with the with the navigator. They talk about the sky fleet, the engine riggers, uh, and talk about um. You know, different things to do with these different characters, you know? Yeah, and it's all the different, like, sky fleets. So you get, like, solid concrete examples of how this army is supposed to work and kind of bridge the gap between um, we're just playing for fun to now we may actually be playing a little more competitive. So this is kind of that encapsulating book. Where it encompasses everything yeah. more so because it has the open stuff, has the narrow stuff, and then has like the full-on tactical stuff, which we haven't seen in books prior to this. No, and so. it's, it's really just kind of interesting. I don't know if they did it because it's a brand new army and they just wanted to give people hints or if it's a difficult-to-use army or if this may be something you're going to see in books in the future. But I yeah. loved it. I was like, what is this section? Like... Not expecting a tactic section with pictures of deployment setups and explanations of how to use certain models. They're telling you where the synergies are. Like, we all know that these armies depend on having proper synergies. And here they're like, look, this is what it is. If you didn't catch it, we're going to give it you the basics of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. great. It is, and this is a very different army than what we're used to with Age of Sigmar. 
Um, cause it introduces the transports. It introduces, um, a lot of different things yes. beyond what we're used to. So I think this is a good book to start it with if they continue this trend, which I certainly hope they do. Um, and then they also include the paint guides on like specific step-by-step how to paint your force to each one of the sky fleets if you wanted to do so. Yeah. And not so. just each sky fleet, but then they've got tips on, uh, painting the little bubbles and the little, you know, um, the portholes. Yeah, yep. they show you different ways to do it. Like if you want to use the technical paints and stuff, they show you how to put on verdigree. They show you how to weather the hull and how to do little scratches and, and gouges in the hull. How to do symbols and markings. Um, different options for scenic bases. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about sub assemblies. They even give you a little kit bash example here. And how to do a conversion. Yeah, I mean, it's a simple conversion. It's just literally cutting off the end of the Arconaut Admiral's hammer and using a different end for it to make the hammer look different. But this just, you know, hey, look, it can be that simple to to customize Mm -hmm. and make your army a little bit different. And it's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, It's just, uh, I'm so, I'm so impressed I mean, you kind of almost, okay, well, they didn't have room for all the extra fluff because they had all this other stuff they jammed into this book. Right. Um, but once we get through that, now, they do tell you, they do give you, this is where we start to get into the, the, the meat of the review, I guess, the, uh, the, the non-story stinker parts. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they go through the six major skyports and their special rules before they actually get to the special rules. Yeah. Now, if you listen to other podcasts, everybody's talked these to death, and we will talk about them a little bit. Um, but I think we should at least explain the 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 allegiance abilities and the battle traits and then come back to the different cities and what their specialty is. Yeah, um, let's, for sure. Um, let's not worry about how your army's painted. We'll just talk about those things, how you want to do it later. I'm not going to get into that whole discussion. I think no, we don't need to go there. <laughs> um, now, this set of allegiance abilities uh, is different than every other army's, which, and I like it because it reminds me very much of something that this game doesn't have, um, which is the cust- character customization, where... Mm-hmm. You know, we used to be able to pick from a long list of magic items. Now you have a list of this small list for each, each allegiance. Um, but the Dwarden were always different because they could make custom-made special armor, special weapons, special everything. And this game does not allow for that. Um, it, it's, it's just not something that's on the table as of right now. Although right. I would love to see when they get to the the dispossessed um if they actually have something like this in a in a creating you know weapons ability but um you get to set up your um your your you get to you get to basically pick the rules for your allegiance which other ones just have options that you get special abilities here there's a there's a laundry list and you can compile it and and tweak it uh, as you will because it's all part of the code and you can interpret the code in your own special way, which is just fantastic. 
um, it really lends that Duarte feel to we, we get to tinker with and play with and create something of our own that's uniquely us. Yeah, and it does break it down, and it's not just one blanket rule for your allegiance ability. You get three different ones yes. for each one in the code, and there's ways to get more, as we'll discuss later. Um, so yeah. if we want to break it down, Article Amendment footnote. Well, do we want to do the command traits really quick first? Oh, there you go. Your general gets a command trait. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's six of them, just like everything else. Basically, uh, a five-up save against mortal wounds. Uh, one of your weapons gets plus one attack. Uh, units within seven inches get to use the general's bravery for battle shock tests. Um, and then there's the, those are the the basic ones. Uh, move one of your sky vessels after deployment, after setup, but before the game starts. Which along I, with anybody in it. Yes. So uh, that's that's a cool one. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, especially for an army that sets up so quickly when we get into deployment um, and how this army deploys itself. That's a big deal to yeah. be able to get the right matchup. Um, I put my ships down, and then when you're everyone's done deploying, I can be like, you know what? This ship needs to be over here. Now, it still has to follow your deployment rules in the battle plan. So like, right. you can't deploy outside of your – you can't move them out of your deployment zone. Mm-hmm. But if they're on the but wrong side of the board, yeah. Yeah. You can really change things. Uh, there's also pick a terrain feature, and you don't take your units don't take battle shock while the unit is on that on or in that piece of terrain, which could be interesting, especially if you're playing obje- a lot of objective based scenarios. Like when we were at Adepticon, a lot of the uh, the scenarios were objective based. Take this or take that. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to just pick one place and say, you know what, I'm taking that. And you're going to have to kill me to the man to get me off of that. That's actually a really cool uh, command trait. And then the final one is you get an extra footnote, um, which is uh, in the battle traits we haven't talked about yet. Uh, As long as he's alive, you have the option to use it. Uh, If he Mm -hmm. dies, you lose it. But getting an extra footnote and no duplicates, and you have to roll for it. It literally says to roll for it. So it's going to be a random one. But getting an extra footnote is a pretty, it's a pretty cool thing because they're all pretty good. Even though the footnotes are all a once per game ability, it's kind of cool. Um, I still think as you're use, if you're using sky vessels that move a sky vessel, at, sky vessel after setup is almost a must take. Yeah. That's so um, cool. With Stickler, though, you can pick which footnote you want. But if you choose by rolling, because it does explain how to roll out your code, if you do uh, Stickler for the code and then roll the same number, you have to re-roll it. But in general practice, you can pick your footnote for Stickler. Oh, okay. I thought so, I thought you had to roll it because it mentioned re-rolling it. So, but I guess it does say you can either roll them or... Pick yeah. them. So no. Okay. So it's just pointing out if you if you're a roller, then, then you got to re-roll a duplicate. Okay. This one is a big deal because with the big six skyports, they each have their own unique footnote. They get another footnote as part of the code, and then this guy would give you another one. So you would essentially have three footnotes. Well, and if you read it in the six skyports, I think all but one of them, it's like you can have any footnote except. 
number six. For the, for the cool one. <laughs> except for the coolest one. Um, so taking that as your ability, your command trait, you could actually sort of negate that. And kind of rewire it. Yeah. Like, we'll get to that one. Yeah. Um, but th- so, that's, I think that's. Yeah, that's the command traits ones. Yeah, I mean, the basic ones, you know, the the five-up save against mortal wounds and the weapon with the extra attack and using your general's leadership, that's that's standard, and it's okay. That's rarely yeah. the stuff I pick for any army, you know? Mm-hmm. But just You it, want more impactful stuff. Right, and, but the other ones are all very cool. They might be situational, but they're cool. Yeah, and as we get into the rules for these particular things, a lot of them you're going to say, yeah, no. But yeah. in any event, um, so getting on to the code. Now, how this works, there's three different columns. There's an article, an amendment, and a footnote. Um, now, you can either just D6 each column and take what you get, or you can custom pick your own set, or if you go with one of the six main Skyports, they give you your prescribed list. You just have to pick a footnote yeah, in well, addition also, to the yeah, unique one. Yeah, you get it. You you get all sorts of benefits. Now, the cool thing with those other Skyports as well is you always get an extra something. Um, yeah, there's. They don't give you a lot of reason not to go with one of the big six Skyports. Um, yeah, but if you really want your own customizable set, this is your option as well. Because the thing is, you get an extra ability with all of them. So mm-hmm. there's there's a, there's a special ability by picking one of the six sky ports, and then you have an option, an extra optional something. Uh, Barak Nar has a different command trait. You can there's a seventh command trait you can pick from. Um, the Zilfin has a different artifact of power you can choose instead. Um, and in fact, so does Barak Zahn, Barak Urbaz, and Barak Thring. And Mornar also has an extra command trait. So it's either... Uh, so And it's not something you have to take, but it's just, once again, this is something that's different from the rest of the rules that, you know, if you're theming your army, this might work better for you. Right. Um, so, and that's pretty cool. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just a, you, you get a couple of extra benefit rules if you take their combo. Um, there's all sorts of arguments about which one's the best and for the, for, for, you know, organized, you know, matched play. Um, I have the one I like best because, and it's, and once again, I'm going by rule of cool. Um, my favorite follows basically how I always have played my Dwarden, like how I played them before the overlords came out. This is what these guys always were to me. And so it's like, oh, your list actually follows along exactly the way I've always liked playing them. So that one works for me. It might not be the best, but it works for me. Um, and I, I love I love the six. Um, I, I don't like the which one's the best discussion that came out of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As a story yeah. stinker, the this one, this you know this one gives me the best chance to win a tournament. Uh, I always sort of like, Ugh, okay, it is. And trust me, the things that people have chosen out, we'll talk about them a little bit. They are cool. Um, mm-hmm. But I just like to, 
once again, I like to keep it with themey stuff. So yeah, all right. And you and I are in the same boat on that one, but yeah. what do I know? All right, so let's go over these. Um, we'll go over them kind of quick. I'm not going to name them and stuff. I sort of I've got a little shorthand version of them here. Um, so articles are the first thing. Pick an article, okay? Reroll battle shock for units wholly in your territory. Reroll battle shock for units wholly in an enemy territory. Reroll battle shock for units within eight inches of a hero. So, three of the six are rerolling battle shock. Um, then you get uh, reroll hit and wounds of one for heroes if the target is a hero or a monster. Reroll hit and wound of one uh, against flyers. And I think that one. You can reroll hit and wound rolls of one for your units if the target can fly. So that one is not just for a hero. That's the whole. That one's actually That's not too army bad. wide. Yeah, yeah, army that wide. one's really good. And then uh, pick an enemy unit and reroll all hit and wound rolls of one for your whole army against that unit. So if it's not a flyer, and it's a, and you, you know, there are, you know, you're gonna face your you know, Alarial and Durthu armies or your Archaeons. Everybody rerolls ones against that guy, <laughs> that unit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The reroll battle shock tests, um, you know, there's three of them. And they're literally, you know, it only works in your territory, their territory, or, or your, uh, or near a hero. Um, mm-hmm. Now the the bravery across the board for this army is a seven, except for Arcanauts, which is a six, and then your heroes. Um, actually, the Admiral and Brock have an eight, and mm-hmm. everybody else but the Arcanauts is a seven. The Arcanauts are a six. So, rerolling Battleshock could come in helpful. Um, if I was going to pick one, I don't see myself picking anything other than within, like, near a hero, I guess. You know? Yeah. I mean, unless you're, unless you're literally writing up a, a specific battle plan and you're picking an army for that battle plan, you know, it's like, well, I'll take it within my territory because I know I'll be in my territory most of the game. But I just, I, n- I never get that gamey when I'm picking. Like, I don't, I'm not picking out stuff. For mm-hmm. a, a specific scenario, you know? Yeah. So. No, no, the, the big standout here for me is Master of the Skies, realistically. There's just so much flyers out there right now, and it seems very thematic for them. They want to be in charge of the air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rerolling so. against flyers makes sense. That's that's probably the best the best one yeah. in this. Um, cool. Um, the Amendments... So now we go to the amendments. You pick one of these as well. Uh, you get an extra artifact of power. Um, if you run with a sky vessel, it's always you can pick a sky vessel, and if you run with it, it's it's always a six. So um, that's actually pretty good because it doesn't you don't have to pick a specific sky vessel. Just your runs are always your movement plus six. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see. Uh, if you fail a battle shock within seven inches of a sky vessel, roll for each model that flees, and in a five-up, he doesn't flee. So that's not bad. Um, you can run and shoot on turn one, which yeah. isn't bad. 
just fly up there as fast as you can and 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 let them have it. That's not mm-hmm. bad. Uh, heroes can unbind spells. Each yeah, hero can unbind a spell. <laughs> and if they already can, then they can unbind two spells a turn. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. If your heroes it can is. unbind spells, they can unbind two per turn. Um, this really goes well with uh, if you're playing uh, Barak Nar. Yep. Because one of they they uh, that well that's what they, they already have that that's that's the one that they have. They can unbind. But I thought that there's I thought there was some sort of special ability in there too. There is. Uh, oh yeah, they get plus one to any unbinding rolls. So that's yeah. So it's like, oh, okay. So they got that, you know, they got that and the bonus. Uh, and then there's plus one bravery if there's no enemy within three inches of you. So if you're flying around and you're getting shot or something like that, um, you're you're more brave. The, um, I don't. That one is not too. I like running, shooting on turn one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the battle shock within seven inches of a sky vessel could come in handy with because your bravery is very average. Yeah. Um. I don't. know. It also depends your build, um, whether or not that thing is going to be useful for you. But yeah, it's still pretty good. The running and shooting or the dispel. Um, or the unbind one, that is a lot. Because you're going to take a number of characters in here, um, but if you can get like five or six dispel attempts, you're going to be shutting down a lot of people's magic phases. Right. Now, I mean, you know, unless they're playing, you know, um, you know, Stormcast, or, or, or you're playing against another Overlord army, people that don't have a lot of magic, then suddenly it becomes kind of useless, but that's always a risk you run, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. You, I mean, for years I took all sorts of armies with, um, you know, runes of, you know, you know, runes of uh, dispel runes, and if you go up against somebody who doesn't have a lot of magic. You spend a lot of points on stuff that doesn't matter. So, um, yep. I personally love it. Magic can really kick you in the face. Um, I've played enough uh, death armies where, you know, if I can shut down your summoning, I have taken away a big chunk of your army. Mm-hmm. Um, plus all that zinch nonsense, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of that nonsense. Yeah, especially if you roll mediocre and then you got to have to start using, you know, dude, he can dispel. Uh, you know he's going to be able to dispel. Uh, he's got a bunch of dispels. So I may have to start using my dice to make sure that I have at least a high roll so it's, it, he's not going to, so that he's got a very small chance of dispelling this and so make them burn those dice with that i like mm-hmm. it i like it a lot um and then you get to the footnotes now all of the footnotes are like i said they're a once per battle thing so this is just all of this i'm not going to say it before every one of them but you can only do this once um replace a battle shock roll with a roll of one so after you roll if your roll sucked you can actually replace the roll with a one now, a lot of these are replaced after the roll, which is nice because it's not like, oh, if I really need this, I'm going to pick it. It's, oh, if my roll was terrible, I can always replace it with this. So replace a Battleshock roll with a roll of one. Once per battle, re-roll a charge uh, roll. Um, if an enemy takes any unsaved wounds, add D3 mortal wounds. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, once again, it's only once, but that's, you know, okay, I'm using this. Mm-hmm. Because, dude, our first, my first game at Adepticon, when I rushed in and I did all those attacks uh, and I got Durthu down to one wound, this right here, even though it was a different army, this right here would have been, that's that, that's where, you know, how many times you heard stories where people are attacking Archeon and they get him down to just one or two wounds and then he goes and goes medieval on them. Or those stupid characters like Scylla and Fingrim and, uh, some of those bloodthirsters, where as they as they as they get more and more wounded, they get even crazier. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you only got him down to one wound, and now he's going to rip you a new one. No, no, no. Now he's going to die. Yeah, I'm not playing that. I really like that one a lot. Um, when you retreat and run, replace the roll with a six. Mm. Um, ro- re-roll a die for an ability that heals a sky vessel. Um, that one's good, and then everybody's favorite, um, change your article. Just, you have to roll, now this one actually says you have to roll for it, and I think that, yeah. Um, you can, and if you roll the same one you already have, you roll again. But, so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have an article, and we talked about, uh, you know, the best one in there that we think Master of the Skies, re-roll hit and wound rolls of one against units that can fly. Yep. So I pick that, and then I come across an army that has no flyers. All right, let's use the let's reroll our article because anything's better than completely useless. Absolutely. Um, so that's a really cool one. Now, as we pointed out, only one army. If you pick one of those six skyports to use theirs, when it gets to the footnote, they give you a footnote and say you can pick an additional one, but it's not you can't have six. Mm-hmm. So. That's where, you know, maybe you take that as your command ability. Yep. Um, yeah, and ironically enough, it's Barak Mornar, which is the roguish sky piratey one. Yeah. Which is, of course, you know, the one that says, oh, yeah, these are just guidelines. We're going to change the rules. Yep. So <laughs> exactly. We're going to do what we want to do, and what are you going to do about it? So. Not much. Um. So that's very so that's that's everything, and you can basically you pick one from each of these three, so you can craft some pretty cool things mm-hmm. using these abilities. Um, like I said, I just love if they had never put in the six major sky ports with the little extra bonus and just said you have to you know make your combos from these. I'd it would have been be, fine too. I would be just fine. Oh yeah, um, because. I would I would constantly be switching these up, just trying out different things. Um, every different build, you can get a different one of these things and see how it works together. Um, I, I like it a lot. Uh, it's not overpowering, but there's there's three of them, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a combination, a mix. You get a little boost here, a little boost there, and then once per game, you get another extra thing. Um, I love it. I really do. Um, and like I said, we'll go back to the Skyports um, and talk about them in, in just a minute. In fact, should we do that? Should we talk about the uh, the other artifacts you could take, or should we go talk about the Skyports and their abilities? Um, I mean, we can hit a couple of quick artifacts. Um, they have uh, three different tables. Um, there's Endrin Works, which is you can give an item to a ship. Just like the Stormcast can do it with the Dracus. Yeah, and that's on top of... The artifact. The artifact. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then they have two sets of artifacts. Um, do you just want to talk about the, yeah. Yeah. One's weapons and the other's, uh, treasures. treasures. Do we just want to talk about our favorites out of these or do we want to hit each one? Well, I mean, I'll run them and you tell me what you think about the closest because some of them are pretty, pretty basic. Your oh, weapons, yeah. you know, and for the weapons one, it's always pick one of your weapons. This doesn't go for everything in the list. So if you have multiple weapons, pick a weapon and, um, if you roll a six or more to wound, you get double the damage. Uh, pick a weapon plus one to wound. Pick a weapon, uh, a one better rend. And if you have no rend, you get one rend. So, um, that's the three are on hand weapons or, you know, pick a weapon weapon. Um, the next three literally say pick a missile weapon, uh, plus mm-hmm. two attacks for a missile weapon. Um, yeah. And then, uh, a hero plus one to hit with missile weapons on the hero that, that gets this. Um, I think the coolest one is pick a missile weapon. And if any models are killed, they, that unit immediately takes a battle shock test. And they also then take the battle shock test again during the battle shock phase. Yeah, you can lay down a lot of pain with this particular combination because this one's more than likely going to go on a chemist. Um, and when we talk about the chemist gun, it's kind of ridiculous, but totally okay. Um, so this that one will almost be a one plus. Um, it's first. really good. Plus, especially if you have other units that can shoot at it first. Yeah, it's definitely a good like punch right at the end of it. And then you do everything else, and then do it again. And then if you get at least one wound on it, then boom, take your battle shock test. And then after battle, they'll take another one. So yep. you can really mess up a unit with, with that particular artifact. Yeah, and then Gatlison's Endless Repeater, the number four, which you add two shots. The Engine Master has a really nasty gun, but it's only one shot. You can now make it three shots. Um, yeah. So those are the two standouts on that list for me. Um, and if you're taking a battalion so you can get the two things, those two really, yeah. And then if you take the article that gives you another one, so oh, there, have, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, you can do a lot. Uh, treasures, uh, reroll saves of one for the hero that, you know, you put the, put it on. Um, at the start of combat, roll a die for any unit within three inches of this hero. On a four-up, they take a mortal wound. There you go. Uh, any sky vessel within three inches on a four-up heals a wound. Um, you can unbind a spell, and if you can already unbind spells, then you roll three dice with this guy to unbind spells. Yeah, that one's hot, especially if you're doing Barak Nar. Yes. Um. Barracknars, yeah, every hero is already dispelling. And so, boom, this is, that guy's yeah. dispelling on three. So your 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 guys who get all sorts of silly bonuses to their roll, well, I get three dice, so I, I'm not out of the running. Yeah, it's 3d6 plus one. Um, oh, that's right, plus these one, because Barracknar gets a plus one. Yeah. Yeah, so most of the time you're probably going to be shutting down spells. Um, especially if you're like an ether navigator, um, cause then he does it twice. So that's two shots at 3d6 plus one to shut down spells. Yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Um, 
Oh, enemies can never benefit to save modifiers with this hero. So if they're in cover or they get anything else, whatever their bonus is, they just get their straight up save on their chart, which is mm-hmm. kind of a cool one. And then once per battle, change the result of a hit, wound, damage, or uh, save roll uh, for this hero to the result of your choice. So once per battle, change it to whatever. Mm-hmm. It's that's once again. It's only once per battle, and with that, uh, if you're playing with guys who can unbind, that unbind a spell becomes like a the one an auto take. Yeah. So, I really like that as the treasure. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just me. Like I said, lots of cool little things, and I know we're just giving out a list here, and we're talking about our one or two favorites. The synergies here are what you want to look for, and. I, I I hesitate to sit and say this is a perfect one. This is a great one, only because there are so. I know I haven't even found everything yet, you know. Yeah. And, and I've listened to other shows, and everyone keeps falling back to the same thing. That's the best thing for if you want to make a broken list. Um, then we all know what that is. Take the the one Skyport that gives you the multiple shots, and then get the extra shots and shots and shots on top of shots. And I get that. Um. But there's other cool things in here. And like I said, the one that sticks out to me the most is the way I would totally play it. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, let's cover the uh, Endrin Works. Because you get one of these on one of your ships. And you can possibly, once again, if you have a battalion, you can get extra ones on this. Um, I like the, uh, what is it, the last word? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, okay. So on this one, pick a sky vessel, and when an enemy finishes a charge within a half an inch of it, you can immediately shoot your weapon as if it was your shooting phase. So basically, oh, look, you charged, and you stop. Okay, boom. I get to fire this thing when you charge me. Mm-hmm. Which, if it's that D6 wounds cannon, oh, okay. Yeah, or the torpedoes on the... What do you call it? The ironclad. There's a lot of different things you could do with this one or the Gatling gun. Um, yeah. Because, you know, who doesn't love 10 shots? But right. it's, it's cool. And it's just that's so piratey. Exactly. That they would get a stand and shoot reaction on a ship. Yep. Um, let's see. What else? Um, roll a die for this sky vessel in each hero phase on uh, four more heals a wound. This is in addition to any other healing it receives. So in every one of your hero phases, on a four-up, you, you get a wound back. Mm-hmm. Good. That's always good. The incredible yes, self-healing hall. I like that. Um, what else? Um, if an enemy that can fly ends within an inch of this sky vessel, it takes D3 mortal wounds. And this is in addition to any other ability. Yep. So, so flyers take D3 mortal wounds for charging the ship. Um, the only one that I looked at, I was like, meh, because I would never, I don't think I would ever overload a ship. Half's the penalty for being overburdened, rounding down. Reroll the result, this result, if the sky vessel is a gun hauler. So gun haulers can't pull people, so if you're trying to put it on a gun hauler and you're rolling, it says to reroll it. But basically, your ships can take up to so many models, and then if you go past that, it, they, they can't move as fast. Because they're being overburdened. So this halves the penalty. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Uh, if the sky vessel is destroyed, you can reroll any. Oh, any rolls of one when determining whether the passengers survive when they bail out. So if if your ship is destroyed and you have to, you know, everyone that's on the ship is still on it. You have to roll a die for all of them, and on a one, they die. So re-roll the ones. So suddenly you cut down the chance of them dying by a lot. Mm-hmm. And then um, the last one, if you're using the etheric navigation ability, instead of moving an extra D3, you can move an extra D6. So I just I really like the last word. And if I'm not using that, I think I'm going to do the self-healing hull or the the sky mines, I'm thinking. Yeah. That's just really where I'm looking. just depends what you think is cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's really Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff there. And like I said, you can take two of those six if you if you take any battalions. So, and there's no reason not to try and take a battalion. In, in this game, there's a couple I've already seen. I'm like, ooh, that would be a really nice fun one to play. So mm-hmm. that's it. Um, so do we want to quick, let's quick talk. Um, oh, my God. Have we been talking for a flipping hour or 45 minutes? We have. Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. Um, all right. When we come back, we'll talk about the uh, the six major skyports the six major skyports just what we like about them and then we'll get into the uh we'll get into the actual the actual uh units units all right we'll be back Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted boarded miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back with the major skyports of the Caratron Overlords. Okay, yes. Now, there's six of them. Um, and why don't we each give one of our favorites, and then we'll just kind of quick glance over the other ones, because we're taking forever. Um, but there's so much cool stuff in here, once again. They pack a lot into this book. Um, I like Beric Nar, and they're the guys who are on the cover. They're the poster boys for this army. Um their uh their this city is just I like it in story wise and I like what they get to do. Um they get to reroll battle shock if you're within eight inches of a hero. I already said that one's a pretty good one. Uh they get to unbind one spell, and if they can already unbind one, they get to unbind two. So you're getting the unbinds. Um 
once per battle, your heroes can attempt to attempt to unbind one additional spell. So that's the footnote. So they can they can dispel one, all your heroes every turn. Uh, once per game, they can dispel two per turn. They get to add one to any unbinding roll, and then you get to pick one extra footnote on top of that. Um, they do have the other cool thing that they give you is, um, and I don't know if I would pick this as the command trait, but if you don't like the other six, you can take this one says, um, units within three inches of the general don't take battle shock tests. So there you go. You know, no battle shock tests within three inches of the general. Um, I'm still. Uh, I don't know that that's the one I would necessarily take, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it's there. It's your option. Um, I'm still more of a fan of moving a sky vessel or uh, taking that extra footnote on top of all the other footnotes. Um, you cannot take... The, these are just guidelines, though, so if you're going to take another footnote... Um, I'm not certain because through knowledge, power, untapped on by is not one of the one of the real footnotes. It's just unique to Barak Nar. Yep. So um, once per battle, jeez, uh, what would I do? I think I would maybe take the extra D three wounds yeah. on top of everything else. So um, I like this one. I like this a lot. I would definitely then um, pick. For my uh, my artifact, I would definitely start off with the uh, roll three dice artifact if I only get the one. Roll three dice mm-hmm. for the dispel. Might as well, if you're going to do this, do it right. Yeah, um, and go all out because you can shut down a phase with one navigator. Yeah. And this is how I've always played my my... You know, back when I first started playing, you know, you got guys with a lot of good armor and some great uh, shooting and um, slowly march them forward. And if people try to magic you, just don't let them tell them no. I don't have any Mm -hmm. magic, but guess what? Neither do you. Um, If you're playing an army that doesn't have a ton of magic, suddenly all of your bonuses become really suspect. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. But for the armies that are using it. Or armies that are using summoning up, you know, stuff. Um, I will, I will, I would love. I, you know, that's it's 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 exactly what you want in that situation. So, which uh, which skyport is yours? Um, so I'm going to go to the complete opposite end of the uh, money roll, um, and we're going to go to Barrack Thring. Um, you know, these guys um, are kind of weird. Um, so they get settle the grudges. Um, so they get to pick a unit that I have a grudge with. Um, and this is, they feel the most Dwarden to me because of the grudging and the, those guys are bad. You're did something wrong you're in trouble. And well, yeah, the they're the most of, traditional. Yeah. Um, they, their ability for the Skyport is log of grudges. So they get to pick D three enemy units instead of just one for settling the grudges. Oh, nice. Um, so they get a lot of options and it's, not just it's to hit and to wound rolls. So this is shooting and combat. So three um, units 
up, up to three. three. Oh, so it's D three. So up to three enemy units. Is it D three or is it just you get to? It's D three. Okay, you pick D three enemy units and rerolling hit and wound rolls of one for everything. Yep, I like that. Yeah, I mean it's not master of the skies, but it's more utilitarian. Um, then they have uh, trust your guns, so they get to add plus one to their bravery as long as they're not within three inches of an enemy model. Um, Overlord bravery is a little sketchy considering how fast they die. Um, and these guys want to play the range game, which is just fine with me. Um, and then honor the gods just in case is their unique footnote. So, and this wording is particular. It says once per battle in any phase, you can reroll one of your dice rolls, not die rolls, dice rolls. Oh, so if I'm unloading a Grunstock Thunderer unit um, with all of those shots, I get to re-roll the bad results. Okay. Now, can I just – I'm going to bring something up here because I've heard this before. And as I was listening to it in my car, I, was, I could have sworn that somewhere in the FAQs – and I didn't look this up because you just mentioned it right now, and I don't have time to look it up right now. I could have sworn somewhere in the FAQ when they first started this – Someone asked a question about die and dice, and as much as I am, uh, you know, the, the grammar Nazi, and I believe that die means one and dice means two, and here they did use the word dice instead of die, uh, I could have sworn in the FAQ that they actually said something about how they can use those interchangeably, that it just dice mean could mean one die or multiple dice. Now, I agree with you. Most of the time it says die, so when it says dice, you can... Unless they say different, you can reroll anything. Um, I'm just throwing out there that I could have sworn I read in an FAQ that they literally just said, "Well, die dice, it doesn't matter." And um, I would, I would, I would beg to differ. Um, and that if if I am correct and I didn't just dream that and it is in the FAQ, I would say, "Hey, rules writers, no, no, say die or say dice. If you mean one, say die. If you mean multiple, say dice." Um, just it, it it makes for much less confusion if you're not using them interchangeably. But at first, when I read this, I thought it only meant one die because I remember reading that they were like, "Oh yeah, it's inter- it could mean either." Am I crazy? Did somebody else read that? I'm I'm gonna probably get a ton of people telling me, "No, you're wrong. That's not in there." But I could have sworn it was in there. Yeah, as far as I've seen it, I've not seen that wording. Um, in the FAQ, so as far as I know, they get to re-roll one volley one time. Um, so, I mean, it is what it is. Either way, it's not a bad footnote to get a re-roll, but if it's just a singular re-roll, that seems really underpowered compared to the rest of them. Yes. No, I agree. Um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just, when I read that and I heard someone say, well, because when I just first read I'm like, okay, pick up a die, get it, maybe get an extra, an extra, you know, just a little extra oomph. Um, and someone's like, no, no, it's dice. You can do all of them. I'm like, well, okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't disagree. It just made me con- – it constantly makes me think of that ruling saying, man, that's a that's a bad idea. Say what you mean. Yeah. Um, um, sorry for the so, tangent. We've gone on long, and it just – that keeps popping into my mind. No worries. Um, and then their extra artifact that they can take is a grudge hammer. So the guy that has it can reroll all failed to hit and wound rolls. Um, when he targets an enemy unit that was picked for settle the grudges, so I mean he's that's cool, but for the most part I'm not wanting to get into combat with these guys, unfortunately. 
Right. Um, I mean, and you'd probably pick a different artifact anyway, is my guess. Oh, yeah. Either the Endless Repeater or uh, the Ear Burster. Yeah. One of those two. It's Um, cool, but it's not, yeah, it's not something that you're going to want to grab. Right. Um, So the other three that get the most amount of talk um, are Mornar, Urbaz, and Zilfin. Um, And we do, we should hit these just because they are such a big deal. Right. Um, realistically, because these, this particular attack that creates one of them is very different, um, and very weird. Um, so with Zilfin, um, the first thing is their unique footnote, which is during the hero phase, once per battle, they can pick a sky vessel to move as if it were the movement phase, but it can't run. Um, and it can't do it in the turn in which it used the artifact of power, which is a Endrin work, which we'll get to in a minute. So if you're in combat, you can walk your truck away and then all of your guys can disembark as normal Ooh. out of it. And it doesn't count as a retreat because you didn't start the movement phase in base with an enemy model. Uh-huh. So it can go off and do other things too. Okay, nice. So you have that one, and then the end, the Aetherspheric Endrins is essentially a Stormcast trick, which is you take a Sky Vessel and anybody inside of it, and then you set it up waiting to come in, and then they just drop in at least nine inches away, and then everybody bails out. Um, so what people will be doing will be taking 20 Thunderers is what's been the list. Okay. Um 20 Thunderers in this uh, particular truck of various kit out, whether it's the cannons or the rifles or whatever, and then five um, Aether Chemists and just buff them to no end. Um, so that unit now cracks out something like, what is that, 120 shots, um, depending on what it is. It's pretty crazy. Um, so you can do that and it just drops in more than nine inches away. It can't move, but any unit that gets out of the vehicle has to, um, be more than nine inches away when they get out. So you can do a complete alpha strike with this using an ironclad, which has a ton of guns to begin with. And then the Grunstocks and then all of the chemists. So you can delete a section of the board pretty much. Jeez. Um, yeah, it's not particularly nice. It's it's really rough. Um, and then Urbaz, um, the big thing is they take the double stack on the Aether Chemist so he can hit two units for the plus one attack on a weapon instead of uh, just picking one unit. So you get double duty out of an Aether Chemist. Okay. So, again, you take Grunstock Thunderers. Um, with their cool guns, and you have like two units of them. And if you have multiple Aether Chemists, because that's it's going to be a recurrent thing when we talk about this army is recurrent amounts of Aether Chemist spam. Okay, so what used to be one unit of 20 is now two units of 10 Grunstocks with various kit, and then they each get buffed five times. Um, and they all take the same gun, so that's. Again, a lot of shots. Jeez. Yeah, it's some of the stuff is like ridiculous. 
Now, these guys I don't think are going to be nearly as effective if GHB2 comes out and says you can't affect the same unit with the same ability more than once. Um, cause then it's going to severely limit how nasty these guys are. Yeah. So take this all with a grain of salt, folks. Um, and then Mornar is one of, this is one that I would really consider, um, for their command trait, um, for their unique command trait, which is in your unit, in your shooting phase, pick an enemy unit, no minimum distance, no maximum distance. You just pick an enemy unit, um, until the end of the phase, which is your shooting phase, you get to reroll fail to hit rolls against that unit for any of your units that are within three inches of your general. So, again, you take whoever and Aether Chemist spam it and then pop this off on one unit and you just delete that particular unit and then you just repeat every time. Oh, I see. So, you, and there's no, in this particular army, there's not a lot of rerolls. Um, there's not a lot of buffs to hit. You just get a lot more attacks, whereas this one fixes that. And this is a command trait, so this happens every turn. Nice. So, yeah, those are the big ones and what people will be arguing about. I can see how those might be better than my anti-magic one. I've just always, that's, that's been my thing. You play the one that you like realistically. Right. It's just, this army can be one-dimensional, um, with regards to the shooting, so... You play the one that you like, and you just everyone else can deal so with poor it. Or Barracks on. How come we don't like Barracks on? It's a close combat. <laughs> when we talk about oh. these unit entries, uh, Barracks on wants to get into fight, and you only have like effectively two units that want to fight in Overlords, and that's the Bubble Dwarves. Um, so it's just. So if you take this, you'd have to take like that whole flying type thing like you talked about. Maybe use yeah. your Arcanauts to just grab seize ground or grab objectives or something and then use the rest of the army to... Put in a lot of Skyriggers. Yeah, because you wouldn't be really able to take a lot of... Uh, flying ships would not be practical because they don't get into close combat, do they? You can throw a ship in to try to pin something down, at least keep it from attacking, but... At the end of the day, it's still – I don't think it's as viable as some of the other fleets. I've tried to make Skyport lists with Barracks on um, using a lot of engine riggers because um, those saws are really nasty when we get to it. But um, it's just – Zahn is tough. It's a very hard Skyport to play. Okay. Well – yeah, I'm playing. Plus, I plus I already started painting mine that way before I read the rules. So, yeah, just the, go with what you got. The only one I can play. I'll pish. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, let's let's see. One, two, three, four, five, and five war scroll battalions, which we will skip for the moment. Let's look at mm-hmm. some of our characters. Uh, Brock Grunson, the Lord Magnate. <laughs> the dude. Oh, he's great. Uh, he can fly. Um, if he ends a charge within a half inch of an enemy, pick one unit and roll the dice on a two or more. It takes D3 mortal wounds. That's that whole he just drops on in on them. 
Yep. So he literally lands on him, and on a two, so on a two up, he does D three mortal wounds to anyone he successfully charges. Um, if he's fighting a hero or a monster, he gets to re-roll hit and wound rolls of one. Uh, what else? He doesn't count towards the maximum number of skyfarers that can be embarked on a sky vessel, and he's not counted for overburden. And he can supercharge his harness to give himself extra strength, but it can be hazardous. Uh, roll a dice. On a one, he takes a mortal wound. On a three or more, the damage on his ethermatic saw is three rather than D3. So his melee weapon goes from a random amount to the basically the full amount. Mm-hmm. Um, he's pretty good. Eight wounds, three up save. He can move 12 inches. Um, he has three different uh, ranged weapons. Yeah. So uh, he's got. Uh, that's actually that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot on him. Yeah, I mean, let's see. He's got two at uh, the eight. The long range ones are eighteen inches. Two attacks, threes by twos with one rend and D three damage. Another one, three attacks, threes by threes with one rend and one damage. And then if he's up close, the ether blasters, his mustache guns, two attacks, threes by fours with no rend and one damage. So he's getting at least five up to seven attacks with in the shooting phase. And then when he gets up close, his ethermatic saw has four attacks, threes by twos, two rend, and D3 damage. That's pretty decent. Yeah, that's almost Galmaraz level. Yeah. Um, and his command ability, uh, I like it. If he uses this ability, he invokes the first and most significant commentary on the code to the victor of the spoils until your next hero phase, friendly units within 18 inches can charge. Even if they ran this turn, that's really good. Yeah. So basically, if you keep this army in a bubble in the beginning, you can run everything and then still charge everything. Mm -hmm. 18 inches is a pretty big bubble. It is, especially for a lot of your fast-moving combat units. And his background even talks about his daring raids with uh, the Skyriggers. So that's the the two best units that play with him. I don't know how how many... How many points is he? He's, he's uh, like 300. So he's a bit expensive. In fact, yeah. he's... The only thing more expensive than him is the Ironclad. He's more oh, expensive yeah. than a frigate. Mm-hmm. But he's pretty cool. He is. That The size is really where it's at. <laughs> yeah. So, um, And then, by comparison, you have the regular Admiral. Um. Well, he can't one. fly, so he only moves four inches. He's got to be on a ship, and he's got yeah. six wounds. And a three-up save. Um, he's got a gun, which is 12-inch range, three attacks, threes by fours, rend one damage, one. And then his big hammer that looks so impressive is only two attacks, three to hit, two's to win, rend two, and damage two. So he doesn't actually kick out that much damage in combat, even though you would expect like your main character to like really kick out a lot of fighting he really doesn't um so he's got a couple of different abilities uh if he ends a charge move within half an inch 
You get to add one to charge rolls to friendly overlords units with an 18. So, again, a really big bubble. Um, if so he gets he that charges off. first, and if he makes it, everybody else gets to add to their charges. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got Master Skies. So if he's embarked on a Sky Vessel, that vessel can run and shoot in the same turn. Um, so that's pretty okay. Um, and then he gets to reroll hit and wound rolls of one. If he's targeting a hero or a monster. So he can potentially do some work there. Um, and then he's got a command ability. But there's three different ones he can use, essentially. Yeah, so if he if he's using Invoke the Code, he's got he get every phase. He gets to pick which one of these he wants to use, which is nice. Once again, yeah. the variety is really great in there. Mm-hmm. The big one out of here is Lead by Example. Yeah. So all Overlord's units within 12 inches of him do not have to take Battleshock. That's great. Which is huge. It's um, not as good as the Lord on Dracoth, but it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah, and this one only applies in the Battleshock phase, so uh, you just got to be careful on timing with this. Um, and then look out for the boss. So a unit of Skyfarers can take a wound for him on a 5 or a 6 if he takes a wound. They gotta um, be within an inch, so it's like Yep. It's gotta yeah, that's close combat stuff, or else you're keeping him really bubble wrapped. Mm-hmm. Um and then the last one is my personal favorite, the Teddy Roosevelt, uh talk softly, carry a big hammer. Uh reroll failed hit and wound rolls for the Admiral if he is in close combat. So that two attacks, um, threes by twos with two rend and damage two with that you got a really good chance that he's gonna get both of those attacks are gonna hit and wound. Yeah, just he's cool, but he just doesn't he doesn't do as much as you would think for an admiral. No, but he's not as good. As, you know, one hundred and forty points. Um, he's a lot cheaper than Brock, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I think isn't that sort of a isn't that sort of a thing with this army though? Um, their melee is not. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really good shooters, but they don't, bless you, they don't hold up in a fight near, nearly as well. Yeah, they're very uh, glass hammer. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. Now we've got uh, three more uh, three more heroes. You've got your navigator. Uh, all of these guys, well, the navigator and the chemist, five wounds, seven bravery, uh, four inch move. Um, the navigator's got a better save than the chemist, though. He's still at a three. Mm-hmm. Um, he can unbind a spell already. So if you're in Barragnar, now he's unbinding two. And once a turn, he can actually unbind three once a game. And uh, he gets the three dice to uh, dispel if you pick that uh, that special ability. So And that's kind of cool. I know, it's once again, I, I'm harping on it, but... With all the magic that gets tossed around in this game, that's a pretty cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. In your hero phase, roll a die, and on a three or more, uh, enemy units that can fly half their move characteristic if they begin that movement phase within 18 inches of him. Once again, the navigators can control the winds themselves. So flyers get their movement uh, messed up if they're near him. And um, if he doesn't move in the movement phase, 
You can reroll the dice for all visible friendly sky vessels when they run or charge. You can't use it in a turn where you've done the ether storm. Um, you can use the ability even when embarked, but if they do so, it only affects the sky vessel you're on. So, um, did we talk about that? Is that in the rules for the sky vessels themselves? Things that are in a sky vessel don't get to use their abilities. Unless it says specifically. Unless it specifically says. So does that include command uh, the the uh, mm-hmm. command abilities? Yep. Um, what about, and I don't know if this actually falls under there, um, what about uh, command traits? Your general is off the table. Oh, yeah, he's considered off the table. Okay, so, yeah. So, yeah, you put him on so that, that actually he can affect that one vessel. So, um. He's got the. He's got a twelve-inch gun with two attacks, threes by fours, one rend, and two attacks, threes by fours with his melee weapon. So once again, in close combat, I mean, he's got a three-up save, but not a lot of attacks. Um, this guy is really there. He can he can dispel. He can slow down flyers, so they're not going to get to attack him as well. Or he can. Uh, fly better. Once again, if he's on the sky vessel, then that whole dispel thing, that doesn't work. Am I correct? Correct. He's weird. He really should be on the ground. Yeah. Um, And just have him run up and probably hide behind a sky vessel, but... He's very slow, though. It's almost like he's got to be on the vessel, and if you get first turn, fly it up, and then drop him off. Yeah. So, um, how about the chemist? You like the chemist. Everybody likes the chemist. This guy is entirely too good for his 100 points. <laughs> um, so, his gun um, is 10-inch range, 3d6 shots, 4s by 4s, Ren 2, damage 1. So, this is the one where you pair it with the ear burster. So, chances are you're going to do something with that many shots um, and kill at least one model. But... It really just kind of depends. And he's got two wishy-washy melee attacks, fours by fours, no rend, damage one. Um, the Aethermatic Augmentation is his big ability. Um, so he picks a friendly Skyfarer unit, so he cannot pick the ships um, within 10 inches of him. And you get to add one to the attacks characteristic, uh, attacks characteristic of one kind of weapon carried by that unit. Um, so a lot of your units are going to be able to mix weapons. So for these guys, you have to specifically say, I want their sky hooks to be plus one attack, or I want their pistols to be plus one attack. But if you do like Grunstock units where they can take a variety of weapons, but if you have them all the same, that's how you maximize the benefit. So of that's this where, particular. yeah, that's where you're taking all of the one thing and then totally jamming it out. Yeah, and it's um, really good even if you're not taking that particular the Sky Fleet that that makes it work for two. Yeah, and when we get to the Endrin or to the Skyriggers, the units actually want to fight. He can make them better in combat because it's a tech characteristic of the weapon. It doesn't say it has to be a shooting attack. So you can rev up the saws more or the sky pikes. So he's a good flex piece in addition to his gun. Um, And then he's got atmospheric isolation. So 
this one's kind of weird. It, he can use his atomizer, which is apparently a thing, or anatomizer, anatomizer, at the beginning of the combat phase to um, create a vacuum around himself. Um, so what that means is enemy models within three inches reduce their attacks char- characteristic by one to a minimum of one. So you're taking attacks away. So he's more survivable in combat, but he's still fairly squish. Yeah, but that's also nice against, especially when you've got units of, of things that are getting all sorts of extra bonus attacks. You know, mm-hmm. uh, ghouls, uh, bloodbound, who are getting all sorts of bonus attacks. Taking one of those away is helpful, uh, especially if they're if, if it's a big unit, because a lot of times you get the multiple extra attacks when they're where they're in, in hordes. You know. Um, oh yeah, he's probably not the only one fighting against them. So no, by getting that or being right behind a line of guys that are doing that, there within three inches. Excuse me, taking away one of those attacks can be brutal. Yep. Um, and then you got the engine master, uh, who is the character version of your of of your balloon your bubble guys. Um, he's actually got an extra wound. So he's got six wounds with the four-inch uh, move, seven bravery, and four-up save. And let's see. Um, his missile weapon, it's only a nine-inch range. It's very close. One attack, threes by twos, one ren, D3 damage. Uh, his hammer is actually a little bit three attacks, threes by threes, one ren, D3 damage. So he, he can pack a punch when he hits and wounds, but his attack numbers. He's one of the few guys who seems to do better in close combat than at range. Mm-hmm. Um, he can repair sky vessels within three inches um, in the hero phase. If they're if they're on a sky vessel or within three inches of a sky vessel, they can give him back D3 wounds. That's big. That is. And he can supercharge his harness to get extra strength. On a one, he takes a mortal wound. On a three or more, it becomes three. So he can supercharge just like uh, Brock can. Mm-hmm. Because they've got that super weapon. Yep. And that's all of our characters. Um, and then other than that, um, it drops down. Next is our... Here's our meat and potatoes. They're uh, our Arcanaut companies. Yeah. Um, and these guys are the only battle line unit in this book. Yep. Um, so if you want to do all overlords, you have to take at least three units of these guys, and everyone will say, oh, just minute. I don't necessarily think you have to do just three units of ten. I think bigger units of these guys can be effective, um, especially when we get into their kit out. So they're just movement four, five up save, bravery six, one wound. Okay. Not all that great sounding so far. Um, each one of them has a pistol. So it's 12 inches, two shots, fours by fours, no ren, damage one. Um, and a sword, which is just one attack, four by four. Okay. So that's cool. They give, they do both. Nice little bit of flex there. Right. Um, one in three of them can take, or three of the, every three for every 10 can take a special weapon, whether that's a athermatic volley gun, which is six shots at 18 inches, fives by fours, ren one, damage one, or a light skyhook, which is 24 inches, one attack, four by three, 
Ren 2 damage D3. Um, so if you have a unit of 20 of them, you could have six guys with special weapons. Um, and then there's a special close combat weapon, which is a Sky Pike, which is a two-inch range, uh, two attacks, fours or fours, Ren 1 damage D3. Um, so that's cool. I mean, the Sky Hook, I think, is the winner out of that one. It's got um, the longest range. It's only one attack, but it, it seems to pound out the damage. Yeah, it's more swingy than something a little more consistent, maybe like the volley gun. But um, it just seems like that's the best option because these guys don't want to get into combat. They're pretty squishy. Um, unless you're playing Barrackson, in which case you kind of want to. Um, but in any event. And they have a nifty little ability where they get to add one to the to hit rolls for any model when they target all of its attacks in that phase at a hero or a monster. So you have to be targeting the same thing with all eligible attacks in order to get this bonus. So if you're within 12 inches, all of your pistols have to shoot the big guy too. So you got to watch that on the ranges. But hitting on but, threes is nice. Yeah, hitting on threes was nice, definitely with the sky hooks. Um, so that's cool. Never mind the buff for the, um, what do you call it, the chemist. Um, and then... Your company captain has a lot of weird little options. So he gets three attacks with his, or two attacks with his sword in combat, but then he can take one of two different pistols, which is either get another shot on the standard pistol profile or change the to wound characteristic to a three instead of a four. So, yeah. He's got some cool options there. Not a bad unit. Um, certainly think a 20 pack could be cool, but they're, it just depends what you like, realistically. Yeah. The other problem with the kit is that you only get one of each of the special guns in it, so you have to do a little bit of conversion if you want to max out one particular type of gun. Yeah, that's... Yeah. So let's come back to the ships, because there's a ton of them, and it's it's getting a little late. Let's talk about the Thunderers, because these are the... Now, these guys are also one wound, seven bravery, four move, and four up save. So they're a little braver and uh, a little better with the save. Um, you get five or more guys in this unit, and they can be armed with basically any of the missile weapons. Now, the kit comes with one of each of these. So if you just kit it out like what's in the box, you're going to have one of everything. Um, you know, the and they've all got their, their benefits. The mortar has a 36-inch range. It's one attack, fours by threes, but does D3 damage. It's like, oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. um, the cannon is only got a 12-inch range, fours by twos, two rend D3 damage. Once again, good. Uh, the deck sweeper, I like the deck sweeper. That's like an organ gun, except it's a handheld organ gun. Does D6 attacks, fours by fours. Uh, you can have your fumigator, which is super short range with D3 attacks, threes by twos. And the rifle has an 18-inch range, two attacks, threes by fours. Everything's got rend except the mortar, um, which basically has super range, though. Um, and all of these things are good. Uh, yeah. You don't want these guys getting in close combat. One attack, fours by fives. I mean, they're as bad as goblins in a fight. Yeah, it's you know, kind of worse, but yeah, yeah. Um, no, fighting is not where they want to be. <laughs> right. It's yeah. It's really it's it's pretty good. Um, 
Now, if you have an honor bearer, you can reroll battle shock tests if one of them is an honor bearer. Okay. Um, and you can also have the bird. You can have the drill bit bird. Um, so if the enemy ends its charge within an inch of the unit with a drill bill, roll a dice, and on a two or more, they take a mortal wound. So there's your drill bill. And um, now when you now these guys have one of the these great when they're chosen to attack in the combat phase, you can instead retreat, making a move, including running, as if it was the movement phase. They may not embark as part of this move. Mm-hmm. So during combat, during your enemy's turn, they can retreat, which is great because, or even during their turn, you can retreat during the combat phase, um, which means when it becomes your turn, that's a new new turn, so you don't have to use your movement to retreat, which then allows you to shoot during your turn. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. These guys are all around really good. I can see where people want to get five of the same weapon so that you can use the chemist on them. Um, five ether cannons at close range, all getting extra attacks is crazy. Um, especially if you have a couple of chemists. So like you mm-hmm. said, you got a bunch of these guys with this and it's just doing brutal attacks. It's, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, and then outside of the ships, you only have the, the, the balloon guys, Endron Riggers and Sky Wardens. Yeah. You want to talk um, about these guys? They've got a lot of the same rules. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, but I guess we'll start with the riggers. Yeah. Um, so the same profile with the riggers and Sky Wardens. So move 12, uh, four up save, seven bravery, two wounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these guys are up in increments of three. Um, so they fly, which is cool. Um one in every well for every three models in the unit they can replace their rivet gun and saw one can take a volley gun and one can take either a skyhook a drill cannon or a grapnel um we'll get to all of those here in a second uh the unit jamie gets two attacks with his saw and now these saws are gonna sound really familiar they're threes to hit twos to win ren to d3 damage um, so it's kind of the same profile as Brock, but only one attack. Um, so again, these guys get buffed with the Kempness. They put out a lot of damage, uh, potentially. So what these guys do, um, in each of your hero phases, they get to heal a sky vessel, a wound, if they're within an inch of it or on it. So this is a passive ability, so that's cool. Um, and then they don't count towards the number of skyfarers that can be put on a vessel. Because once again, and, we said they're already floating on their own, so they're not weighing it down. Yeah, and that's the same rule for the Sky Wardens, too. Yep. Um, so their basic gun is uh, 12-inch range, three shots, threes by fours, ren one, damage one, which is cool. Uh, a lot of volley right out of there. Um, and then f- as far as the special guns the athermatic volley gun is six shots fours by fours ren one damage one at 24 inch range which is quite a bit pretty nice yeah yeah um and then you get a sky hook which is 24 inches four by three ren two damage three not d3 just a hard three uh but it's only one shot um and they have a special with a sky hook that if a unit suffers 
damage from a skyhook, the unit that they shot at becomes harpooned. So the Endrin riggers can move D6 inches towards that well, harpooned D6 unit. D6 inches as long as the move takes them closer to a harpooned unit. So mm-hmm. I only have to be, you know, 5 and 15 16 inches away, from, you know, clo- you know, I only have to move a a fractional increment closer. I don't have to go straight towards them. I just have to end closer. I can move 6 inches. So you can start angling and moving and using that mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Um cuz closer doesn't mean direct line necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um and that that's that sky wardens have the sky hook as well. Yep. That's one of their gun options. Um, and then this is the first time we get introduced to a drill cannon, um, yes. which just sounds really cool to begin with. Um, so it's only one shot, two foot range, uh, four by three, rend three, damage three. And they have a neat little trick. Um, if the to wound roll for a drill cannon is a six or more, um, you can pick another enemy unit within three inches of the target and they suffer D3 mortal wounds in addition to any damage dealt to the target unit. Um, so it's you, you have a character behind a unit. You can, if you roll that six to wound, you can do D3 mortal wounds to something behind the unit they're shooting at. Yeah. And which is, yeah. And that's great because, um, yeah, you get to pick one unit, but if there's multiples around, that could really be a benefit. Um, I like this rule a lot, and it's it, it Sky Wardens have it too. Yep, because um, they can take a drill and three red. Uh, it's like you're gonna do damage. Oh yeah, you know absolutely. The, the wound roll of six is is secondary to the fact that fours by threes. If you hit and get it through, it, it's just gonna it's gonna do some crazy damage. Mm-hmm. Now the grapnel yeah, launcher uh, is interesting because it said you can take a grapnel launcher, and then I looked at all the missile weapons, and it's not listed there. Um, because nope. it's not a weapon. It's a cool no. thing to take. Mm-hmm. Because it really makes your movement ability go insane. But then you're paying for Endron Riggers, and one of your guys has no missile weapon. Right. Uh, and considering you're paying 120 for three of these guys, which isn't bad, um, but to, you're taking away a third of your shooting ability. Right. I think these are going to shine more in like big units of like nine, which mm-hmm. is something I would absolutely do. Um, so with this gun, well, grapnel launcher, um, at the end of the shooting phase, um, after all shooting's been resolved, you can pick a terrain feature or a unit, friend or foe, friend or foe, uh, which has a wounds characteristic of ten or better, within two feet of the of the guy with the grapnel launcher. And roll a dice, and on a four plus, you snag onto the target, and you immediately move the unit any distance directly towards the target. Um, you have to stop more than three inches away from enemies, but you can—I mean, you could literally move up to twenty-one inches with this. You can get in there, shoot at something, and if it's dangerous, pick something and just move away. Yeah. Um, so you can either latch onto your own ships that are flying around the back to pull them out of trouble. Um, Cause essentially you can charge in, in your turn. And then if you don't want them in combat anymore at the end of the shooting phase, if you have two of them, chances are you can latch onto one of your own sky vessels and pull the unit out 24 inches. And yeah, because that's, <coughs> that's the thing you could pick an enemy unit, but it has to have a wound characteristic of 10 or more. 
Yeah, so, so it's, it's got to be guys. something big. But even your 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 gun hauler has a wound characteristic of ten. Mm-hmm. So you can fly out, shoot stuff, and then zoop, fly back, and then in your hero phase, boom, you're healing them again. That's I think the thing here. That's your combo. Is yeah. you're not necessarily picking other pieces of terrain or enemy units necessarily. You're gonna fly back and fly to the fly back to your own ships so that you're out there during your turn shooting, doing damage, doing what you need to do, and then as soon as you're done, zip back towards your ships so that during your hero phase you're healing them as needs be. It's a really cool ability. Yeah. Or you can use it aggressively to take down big models and deliver nine uh engine riggers, seven of which have saws, um, into a monster, which is gonna yeah, hurt. The saw is good. One attack Size only, but really three good. by two with two rend and D three damage. Yeah, nine of those guys in there, not bad. And that's not including the chemist buff. So if you if you zoom over to where the chemist is, yeah, exactly. <coughs> and then yeah. um, the sky wardens, they a lot of those rules are the same. They've got the hitchers, the exploding drill, the grapnel launcher, uh, the sky hook, but they also have sky mines. Um. Basically, when an enemy unit that can fly ends within an inch of them, roll a die for each model, and on a six, that unit suffers a mortal wound. So if it's a bunch of guys who fly in, you know, um, then uh, each you get more chance at mortal wounds. Also, it's they've got the timed charges. When they retreat, before moving the unit, roll a die for each enemy unit within three inches. On a roll of six, they take a mortal wound. So when you retreat, it's like you've strapped, you know, you put sticky bombs on these guys. Mm -hmm. And so when you retreat, you can, uh, yeah, you got a chance to to, to hurt them again. They're small things because it's for each model and then you roll on on a, yeah, it's only on a six up. But uh, it Especially the timed charges, it could be really cool because it doesn't say uh, that's not just for flyers. Mm. So if you have little horde armies, these guys getting in there, and then it's like when they retreat, then uh, you know, okay, boom, uh, roll it, and for yeah, each enemy unit within three inches. Yep. Oh, it's not per model. It's just yeah. for the unit. Oh, so it's not all that good. I'm I'm totally misread that. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. There's a lot of stuff going on with these guys. Oh, there's so many rules. We're just I feel like we're just racing through. We've been doing this for three and a half, almost four hours now, and we've I feel like we've raced through so much of this. Mm-hmm. Um, they're you know they've got the the volley gun, the sky hook, the drill callan. Their pistol is different. They don't have the rivet gun. Because the Andron Riggers heal it. These guys are out there flying around, keeping flyers away from the ship. So they have a pistol. It's only a nine-inch range, threes by threes, one rend, one damage. It's basically not nearly as good as the rivet gun. Um, but they do have sky pikes, um, and those aren't as good as the the saw. Although, actually, they have a larger, longer range and more attacks. Skypike mm-hmm. has a double attack, fours by threes, and then one rend D3, as opposed by threes by twos, two rend D3 with one attack. Uh, they each have their place. Yeah. Um, I am a big fan of the Endron Riggers because although the Sky Mines are cool, I like all the things the, the Endron Riggers can do, but the Sky Wardens 
definitely have a, a place as well. Um, and that's everything except for the flying ships. Yeah. You want to take a break and then talk flying ships when we come back? You want to yeah, take- there's a lot to talk about with the boats. <laughs> All right. God, our sixth break. We haven't done a show this long in a long time. I apologize, folks. Actually, I don't apologize. You know what you're getting into when you listen to the show. We'll be back. The Indomitable groaned and lurched as something heavy struck it. In the lowest hold, the Grunstock Thunderers assumed broad stances to maintain their footing. A few of the more recent recruits looked at one another as a new sound could be heard. The telltale pinging of small arms fire ricocheting off the lower hull. It was a sure sign that they were getting closer to the action. Twice the ready oar blinked and the tension mounted in the cramped confines. Steady, growled Gunnery Sergeant Stonehelm, his cogscope whirring to fix upon Nar, the newest member of the regiment. I want a fast deploy. I want clean deploy. I want iron wall formation centered on Drogans. Keep an eye out for enemy artillery. If you see it, call out for Dorek and his mortar. Hamfist, if any of the big ones get close, I want Helga on them. At this, Hamfist looked over to the bulky blast shield of his ether cannon. Aye, aye, gunnery sergeant, sir, he said, patting his weapon. Then the third blink came, and before the ready orb's glow faded, the hatch clanked open. The thick hull no longer muffled the sounds of battle. Below was a blur of moving ground broken by green streaks as the Skaven's shots whizzed by underneath. At Stonehelm's shouted command, the descent began. One after another, the Grunstadt Thunderers dropped down the hatch, their gauntlets sparking as they slid down the mechanized ladder, plunging down into the chaos below. And we are back, talking flying ships and cool tricks. All right, uh, let's start with the smallest one first, the gun hauler. This is the one that gets the most poo-pooed, although I do like it. Um, mainly because I think I think it mainly gets poo-pooed the most because of the points. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of expensive. Um, for it's it's two hundred and twenty points. Um, uh, basically, two of these is the same cost as the ironclad. For the extra sixty points, you can get a frigate. Mm-hmm. Now, a frigate's a behemoth. And you are limited to how many you have, whereas the gun hauler is a piece of artillery. Um, right. But it literally is its only 60 points more for a frigate, which has so much is so much more devastating. But I like the gun haulers. I like the models, and I like their role. It's just, once again, tiny. Um, these things can fly. They have 10 wounds, as we said. Uh, five up save and 12-inch movement. That five up save is, well... The frigate's also got a five-up save, so whatever. Um, this has the exploding drill, because it's got a drill cannon as well. We already talked about that. Um, it also has the sky cannon, which is one attack, uh, fours by twos, two random D6 damage, which is nice. Um, and uh, it's also got an ether shot carbine, which is two attacks, threes by fours, and one rend. So a lot, it, 
it's got two two separate shooting attacks, which is nice. Um, and then you've got uh, melee weapons, uh, fragmentation charges. You get D six attacks with that force by force, and then two attacks from the valves, force by force. So basically, no rend one damage. They're all the same. Um, so it's basically D six plus two attacks at, at close combat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's okay. Uh, where it gets cool is the bomb racks and stuff like that. So, um, let's see. If an enemy unit ends its charge within one inch, it can drop detonation drills or grudge settler bombs. Two just one will drop and roll a die. On a four or more, it takes the effect. Um, so it either cannot pile in an attack until all other units have done so. Uh, or it takes D3 mortal wounds. Uh, this does not attack flyers, though. So it's got to be you're, you're 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 literally dropping those little bombs under the bottom of the ship onto them on the ground. So mm-hmm. anyone attacking from the ground, basically, you're gonna you're gonna take a penalty um, if you attack uh, from the ground. Um, the other special rules they have uh, in each hero phase, you can give this order if they do so until your next hero phase. You can reroll run and charge rolls for the gun hauler, but you can't attack in the shooting phase. Um, I don't know about that. I mean, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, th- there would have to be a very special situation where I want to get in with D six plus two attacks, fours by fours, no rend and one damage. So I, I'm going to want to reroll that that charge or run roll. I don't see it. Um, <laughs> Now, if if the gun hauler is near a frigate or an ironclad, as we said before, they're willing to put themselves right in between them and the enemy. So um, if the sky vessel, if, the, if your frigate or your ironclad takes a wound or a mortal wound within three inches of a gun hauler, uh, roll a die, and on a five up, the gun hauler takes the wound instead. It takes a mortal wound. Uh, you can only use this once for each wound or mortal wound. But if it takes three mortal wounds or three wounds, you can do this three times. I mean, it only it only transfers on a five or six. They're not that good at jumping in front of bullets. Yeah. I mean, that's a skill. But mm-hmm. uh, it's still not bad. Um, and then we get to the frigate. You want to take the frigate? Yeah, sure. Um, so this one has a variable move anywhere between 10 and 8, depending on how many wounds it's taken. It doesn't slow it down very much, which I think is kind of cool. No, it's pretty consistent. Um, It's got a 5-up save, brave 7, and 14 wounds. Um, This one's also a behemoth, so that one's cool. It also has the War Machine keyword. Um, They all do. So if you have anything that affects War Machine specifically, which I don't think there is, um... But in any event, so um, let's see, where do we start? Let's just start with the guns real quick. Um, so you can take one main gun, which is either a sky cannon or a sky hook or a heavy sky cannon or a heavy sky hook, which they're both 18 inches, both hit on fours. The cannon hit wounds on a two, rend two, damage D6, um, whereas the hook is wounding on a three, rend two, damage D3, but it can do the pull. Um so if they do some damage, you get to roll a D6 and move up to that many inches closer to. Yeah, once again, yeah, moving D6 inches. It's only D6 inches. 
Yeah. Uh, and I'm yet, not, and closer. Yeah. I put the cannon I'm, on mine. I, yeah, I would too. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the Skyhook looks better, like model wise, but I think game wise, you're going to want the cannon. Um, and then it's got uh, some Aethershot, carbi- Aethershot carbines, just like the gun hauler. Um, and it's got variable numbers, starting at four and going down to two, right. progressing very slowly. Um, so starting at four, fours to hit, fours to wound, rend dash, or uh, threes to hit, fours to wound, rend one, damage one. And then he's got um, anywhere between three and one attacks in combat. Progressing and very, very rummy though. I mean, literally, <laughs> yeah. The four by fours, no rend, one damage, up to up to a whopping three attacks in close combat. Yeah, um, it's not super great. No, it's definitely meant to be shooting. Um, so for all of this stuff, he's two hundred eighty points. And what else do you get with him? Um, so if there is a navigator visible to this particular ship. He gets to move an extra D three inches in the movement phase, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, and then you've got uh, an order that he can essentially give himself, which is all hands to the guns. So in your hero phase, um, you can give that order and your frigate gets to reroll hit rolls of one in the shooting phase, but its move characteristic is halved and it can't run. So you either go to a five or a four inch move, but you get to reroll ones to shoot. If you're close is, enough and you know and you don't need to move that much, it's worth it. Yeah. Um and then it's also got bombs in the same way uh the, the gun hauler does. Um and it's the exact same thing. So the detonation drills and the grudge settler bombs, again, can only affect things on the ground on a four plus uh, right. when they get charged. Um The sky mines are actually the same as the uh as the uh, what you call them, the, the sky, sky wardens. wardens. Yep. Um, they also have an endrin rigor on them. So in your hero phase, you roll a dice, and on a four or more, it heals a wound, um, and that can be combined with all the other ways you can heal these things in the hero phase between endrin masters, endrin riggers, self healing hulls. Um, so that's the thing that makes up for the five up save a lot of people were a little confused it's like why does this big tank have a five up save well, well it's because you can put on multiple wounds back every turn yeah unless you're rolling Which, crummy you're putting some wounds back on them absolutely um, it can carry up to up to 10 models on them um and you actually can carry up to 15 but for every model over 10 it reduces its movement by one that's what we were talking about earlier there's that special ability where that's halved so if you put 14 guys on it instead of slowing it down by four inches, you only slow it down by two inches. I'm not really one for overburdening the ship in the first place. I don't mm-hmm. I don't see the purpose. And if you are, you're going to just do it by one. Yeah, unless you have uh, to. Like character. if you had a yeah. unit that got shot down to this number and you need to get them out of there, you might embark with them and you don't have a choice, but I, whatever. Yeah. Um. So they have a neat trick when you set them up. Um, when you set up the frigate, you can put units of Skyfarers on them at the start of the game. So you're essentially getting two or three potentially multiple deployments for one deployment. Um, just yeah, by basically putting they're them a in. transport. If, if, yeah. these, if these guys are in the ship, then when you place the ship, you tell them all these guys are in the ship and they count as already being th- that deployment's done. 
You don't have to take each unit and say now, you know, every. So if you want to get done quicker, you mm-hmm. want to have fewer drops, having them on the ships will reduce your drops, basically. Right. Um, and then embark and disembark, and this is the same for uh, the frigate and the ironclad because they're the two transport versions. Um, so all if all models in a Skyfair unit can move to within three inches of a friendly frigate or ironclad, in the movement phase, they can embark it, which is they just get removed from the field and are now inside the ship. Um, embarked units cannot normally do anything or be affected in any way while they're on the ship. Um, they basically don't count as being there unless they got something that says that they can. Right. You can't target um, them. They can't target you. Area effects do nothing. I mean, they don't. They're not there. Right. They're just chilling inside. Having yep. a uh, adult beverage. Um, if the ship is destroyed, the passengers bail out. You roll a dice for each model embarked on it, and for each roll of a one, you kill that model. Um, and then with disembark, any unit that starts its hero phase embarked can get off the ship, um, but all models from the unit have to be within three inches of the ship and. None of them can be within three inches of enemy models. So how you stop these guys from getting out is by surrounding the ship. Um, if you cannot set up any a disembarking model that way, so it meets both those rules, it's slain. So you have a really good chance of killing units when they get out if you surround it properly. Yeah, if you shoot this thing out of the sky and there's no one around it, they're going to disembark. If you get all around, if you surround the ship and take it down. They got nowhere to disembark. So just picture them all diving off the ship and landing on your swords, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but any unit that gets off can act normally for the rest of the f- for the rest of the phase, including uh, hero abilities, shooting, movement, et cetera, et cetera. So, but you That's- cannot disembark and reembark in the same turn. Yeah. So, but you you disembark during the hero phase, not the movement phase. So you right. can so you can use all those abilities if you have abilities to use. You can get off, um, but doing it during the hero phase means that it's not you can't move and then get off like that ship. You're either getting off or getting on, and then the ship's moving. Unless so, you're Barrack Zulfin, but other than that, oh, they you're can good. they can disembark during the movement phase. They can move a guy. Oh, that's so right. You can move a sky vessel for free and that's then disembark. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's so. right. Okay, now I see where that, that, that benefit really comes in. I get you. Yep. All right. And then the big bad Super Mama Jamma. Um, the great Arcanaut Ironclad. This thing has 18 wounds and a four-up save. It moves eight inches. It always moves eight inches. Shoot it all you want. It moves eight inches. Um, it's got a lot of the same abilities as the frigate. Uh, the, uh, navigators near it can allow it to move extra during the movement phase. Um, now you can, because it's a flagship, it's got a, a, a special rule with flagship. This is great. Um, in your hero phase, you can do one of the signals that affect all friendly sky vessels plus two attacks to the carbines. Which is nice because the carbines don't get a ton of shots, 
plus two attacks is nice. Uh, or you can reroll ones in the shooting phase. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. Add three inches to the range of all your missile weapons. That one's always a good surprise. It seems like you're a little out of range, and they're like, boop. Uh, reroll hit and wound rolls of one for attacks directed against flyers. So you can basically pick any one of those, and that's a bonus you get till your next hero phase. Um, what else can you do? Um, in each hero phase, before a unit disembarks, the captain can give this order. If they do so until your next hero phase, you can reroll save rolls of one for the model, but no unit can embark or disembark. So if you're not taking any units on or off, you can reroll save rolls of one for this ship. You can call that. Um, it's got detonation drills and grudge settlers. It's got a skyhook. Um, it's got supremacy mines, which is better than the sky mines. Um, oh, yeah. Enemy units that can fly and is charger than one inch. Roll a dice on a two or more. It takes D6 mortal wounds. That's rough. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's got the Endrin rigor on it, so it's healing a wound. Um, it can carry 20 seafarers instead of 10, so it's up to 25 if you're going to overburden it. The setup, embark, and disembark rules are all the same. Mm-hmm. So, bing, bang, boom, we know all that stuff. Um, so basically, um, it's got the same weaponry as the other ship. Uh, the, the sky cannons, the same, just longer range. The sky hooks, the same, just longer range. Uh, it does have a volley cannon, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. now is this, it can have, uh, the main can have the, okay, so. If you don't want the skyhook or the cannon, you can take the volley cannon. Uh, it's 10 shots, fours by fours, one rend, one damage. So instead of taking that one shot hoping to get D6 with two rend, you can take 10 shots on the fours by fours. Um, it's, you know, if you, that, if you want that one. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of really love the cannon. Plus, it's got that long range. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you miss with the one cannon, you're done. Here, you got ten shots with fours. Um, I don't know really how how it breaks down. Which one would be better? But it looks nice at least, and it's got a, it's another mm-hmm. option. Um, they've got the carbine as well, which is exactly the same. They've also got ether shock torpedoes. Um, 24 inch range. Um, the attacks go from four down to two, fours by threes, one rend, D3. So that, and they have, um, fragmentation charges. This is where it gets a little crazy. And, and melee range. Um, whereas the old belaying valves on the frigate, you know, a close combat, fours by fours, three attacks down to one attack. This one's always got five attacks with the valves. Fours by fours, no rend, one damage. And then you also get an additional 2d6 attacks. Fours by fours, no rend, one damage. Um, which, from the fragmentation charges, as it takes wounds, that can drop down to d3. 
But so if you're fighting the Ironclad, it's anywhere from six to 17 attacks in close combat, um, fours by fours. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's good. It's expensive, and it's really big, and it does have some cool things to it. Um, yeah. But I just, it's so expensive. It's so expensive for the yeah, Ironclad. It really depends the kind of list you're doing. If you're doing a Zilfin, you almost always want to take one to do the drop in. Right. But for everybody else, I'm not. I have a hard time justifying that kind of a spend if I'm not going to be doing Zilfin. Right, but that's just me. I mean, it's 440 points, and I'm not a guy to sit here and argue points. But I'm looking at that and saying, for an extra 120 points, I get two frigates. Mm-hmm. Um, moving a lot of stuff around getting a lot more options. You know, it doesn't necessarily have the huge punch. But it actually kind of does. Okay, so my range isn't as long, but I have two sky cannons instead of one sky cannon. Right. You know, I have two sky hooks instead of one sky hook. I don't have the torpedoes or the volley cannon, but I'm like I said, I love the sky cannon so much. I don't know that I'm taking the volley cannon. And two sky cannons is awesome. Um you know, I'd love to take an army just full of giant ships and, and playing a whole bunch. But as far as, well, I don't know when I would do that because it's so, I mean, if you're playing match play, your enemy would be taking, you know, it would be a huge point game to take a bunch of flyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a narrative campaign, you can take it, but then you're still, I mean, your opponent's going to have to have something to counter all of this. I mean, it looks cool on the table and all, but... um I just, like you said, unless you're taking that one army, um, unless you're taking Zilfin, I, I mean, it, but it even says in the fluff, though, the frigate is the thing. That's what everybody uses. Right. Um, the ironclad is, is a beautiful, wonderful, top-of-the-line thing, but the frigate is the meat-and-potatoes unit in this in this fleet, and and it, and it, it shows. It shows in the points. It shows in the abilities. It's a great little, it's a great little uh, ship, and for the points, it's do, it does a whole lot of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can deliver your your squishy Arcanauts on it. You know, to 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 come in later and do what they need to do. Right. Um, and they only have to disembark. They only have to be three inches away from an enemy. So as long as you're not right on top of them, you can drop in close. They can disembark. Um. Now, they're disembarking on the next turn when you fly in, so you don't want to be so close. That's that's where – that's, and that's where tactical movement comes in, I think, in this army. Um, yes. Because you can't fly up and disembark unless you're that one – unless you're the one army. Um, yeah. You're literally – you can't fly up real close and then just – disembark later because if they surround you then you can't disembark and then you're really screwed because your melee weapons just aren't all that great and you're going to have to uh, you know dig that unit out in order or retreat your flyer which means you're not shooting with it in order to uh, in order to, to get your guys off the ship so um, I think tactical movement of the emplacement of these ships 
is a key to playing this army well. Yeah, this is a very finesse army. Yeah, yes, yes, it is. Um, and I think that's one of the things that you're, we're getting at. There's tons of great shooting, and you have speed. You can fly around and avoid your enemies. Um, but if this is an army that you want to play, you really need to... And I, Heck, I would say go back and read the um, the advice that they give under um, under how to play this on that what mm-hmm. we were looking at um, because it's actually quite valuable information. Uh, theming your army, fighting your battles with them, deployment and tactics because it's not easy. Um, yes, you can take a ton of guns. You can go and you can take you know 10 guys with mortars and stick them in the back and blow the heck out of your enemy and hey as long as you stay away from the enemy you're going to be fine if they can't get up close enough to hit you you just shoot them back and heal up shoot them and heal up shoot them and heal up um but it, once you're into close combat you things get tricky for this army so movement becomes really important and knowing where your guys are where your enemy is where your enemy can wind up is really going to win or lose you the games, I think, with this army. Unless you're just mm-hmm. taking all stuff and you're standing back and shooting and never never engaging. You know, you could right. play the whole, I'm just going to run around you the whole game and I'm going to retreat when I need to. But every, every turn where you're retreating, you're not getting to shoot. And if they can keep you from shooting, they're, they're winning. Mm-hmm. So... Those are my thoughts. What are your thoughts on this army as far as playing it? Um, well, I don't know. I, people have argued to death, like the big three skyports like we talked about. But the truth is, this is like that truly customizable army. It's just make it, it can fit your play style if you don't mind running around and shooting people. So, um, you have a, <laughs> it's surprisingly more options than, you may look at it because it's like, oh, well, it's just shooting or your combat units are just combat units. But sky riggers, depending on your kit, can quickly turn into shooting units between the volley guns, between drill cannon or whatever. Um, I think you would almost always take an iron sky squadron, but that's just me. I really like frigates. Um, Dave and I are of the same mind on that one. Um, I like and that the, one. Yeah, and it fits so neatly into what you want to do. And realistically, with the Iron Sky, you can get a one drop in um, because you can. It depends on how you build it. If you do three units of Arcanite Company, two frigates, um, and then a couple of balloon teams plus characters, you can do that all on two frigates and one unit of uh, company on the ground. And boom, there you go. So, yep. Yeah, no, the Iron cool. Sky Squadron, it's if you if you're taking two frigates, then you basically got that one wrapped up. For nothing. Yeah. Um the Iron Sky Command, that's where you're taking your ironclad. Mhm. And that's not bad if you want to take an ironclad, you know, three heroes, one unit of Arcanauts, and at least one unit of Endrin riggers. Yep, that works too. You know, um yeah. The, the bonuses you get from it are not that great. It's more getting that extra item and that extra thing for your for your 
for your for your flyers. Um, you know the bonus for that sky command. Friendly units within twelve inches of the ironclad subtract one from battle shock. Oh boy, that's great. Uh, when a hero is within three inches of the Arcanaut, roll a die every time they suffer a wound or a mortal wound. On a five or more, the Arcanaut company takes the mortal wound. So the the Arcanauts are, are protecting your characters. Um, yeah. Not nearly as good as the squadron. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, Reroll, run, so, and charge moves. Plus one yeah. to all attack characteristics for all missile weapons on the frigate. In the first battle round, and if you've taken Prosecute Wars with all haste, you get the run move plus two shots um, off of your cannons or skyhooks or aethershock carbines, depending on how close you get. So there's a lot of options um, for how you can play that. And that's two to ten frigates and two to ten Arcanaut units. So that's that's most of your army right there. Yeah. Um, I the do other, like the escort wing. Yeah, that's just so pricey. Like, it is because once again, those stupid gun haulers are way too expensive, but they're pretty decent. And I like I once I I like the theme. I like the story mm-hmm. that that you know, one frigate, three gun haulers, uh, one to three units of thunderers, and one to three units of sky wardens. So, uh, and, you know, the bonus with this, remember, if you're reading the, about it, it says one of them's really good, but when, a, when a, a unit of them gets together, a bunch of them, they can sort of focus their fire and take anything out, plus one to hit for um, against any unit uh, if all unit attacks are directed against that enemy unit. So, it, it, in the shooting phase, you pick one enemy unit, and if you put... Everything in this battalion on that unit, that's plus one to hit on top of everything else. So it's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to delete you. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, not only am I focusing everything on it, but because I'm doing that, I'm getting a plus one to hit on all that stuff. Um, right. But I just, like I said, I always liked the, the gyrocopters. The gun haulers are sort of like, you know, my, you know, it makes me think of the, the gyrocopters. I like the gun haulers. Um Mm-hmm. Too expensive, but you know you could play it. Um, yeah, especially if you're doing Barrack Mornar, because then you get to re-roll those shots with your command trait, yeah. on then you're hitting on threes, and that's the thematic battalion that ties into Barrack Mornar. So, right, it right. all fits in thematically. Heaven forbid we play that thematically. <laughs> and then you get the Ether Strike Force. Which you get to bring in the Stormcast, because why not? Uh, Reasons. You, you get a Knight Venator, you get three units of Prosecutors, so you're getting all your, you get all your, all your winged uh, uh, Stormcast come flying in. One Gun Hauler, one unit of Endron with Riggers, and two units of Sky Wardens. So they can come together. Um, and it's, it, the bonus is okay. In the hero phase, the Knight Venator can lose the star-faded arrow like it was the shooting phase. Um, and then if you don't kill the thing that you're shooting at, the units from this battalion get plus one to hit against that for the remainder of the battle. So yep. basically, he, he your star-faded arrow is targeting a, a, you know, a unit. And um, if he doesn't kill it right off... For the rest of the game, they all get bonuses to kill it. 
Uh, it's nice against really big, you know, your your centerpiece models that are super huge beasties. Mm-hmm. Just saying, okay, well, we're all going to get a bonus. And you don't all have to fire at it every turn, every phase, like with the last battalion. Yeah. Um, but in each of your hero phases, you can take a single unit other than the Night Venator from this battalion to make shooting attacks as if it was the shooting phase. Uh, you A unit may only do so if two or more other units from this battalion are within six inches. So if they're close by, you can take an extra unit on top of the Venator. The Venator can do it during that hero phase. Um, and then you get one, basically one extra unit gets to shoot during the hero phase. As long mm-hmm. as they're near the rest of the battalion. Not all that great, but if you want to mix up your Stormcast and your and your Overlords because of, you know, because that's the models you have or that's the type of army or that's the story you want to run, it's a, it's a, it's a fun story, uh, you know, sort of almost like a narrative battalion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about it. That's the book. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. There's a lot. It's so different. It's so unique. Um, I, I, are, are, and I know I, I see a lot of people on Twitter and on other social media that are building and painting these armies. Um, but I haven't seen the tournaments coming in with lots of people playing them. I haven't heard about people playing overlords and, and, and smashing through in tournaments, uh, yet. So I, I, is it because they haven't got them painted up yet? They aren't ready yet? Or what do you think? Or, I mean, are these, I mean, is this the hotness or is this something that's going to be finesse and it's not going to, it's not unbalancing? Is this, is this? They are very matchup dependent um, and it depends on your build. Because if you're playing Zilfin, um, you're depending on getting that awesome strike turn one, but if you don't do well in that awesome strike, or if they have a way to block you up, if you take nothing but cannons and bubble wrap, where you have to be so far away from the good stuff, you may not be able to do anything about it, realistically, because you only have a 12-inch range on the Aethershot cannons. So you have different limits. It just really... Depends. The events that I've seen them at, they're finishing mid-tier because they're still super squishy. And in this game, everything dies and everything is going to get into combat. You can't stay away forever unless you're like a Skyfire. So, and these things aren't Skyfires. They're like mid-range shooters. So, I don't know. I think they have potential, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sold on them replacing like Disciples of Zinch or... Stormcast or Sylvanath for like a top spot. So I think they're a good army. I think they'll be fun to play and it's a unique aesthetic to AOS. So I don't know. They got that going for them. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I like to, I, you know, I honestly would have hated it had they come out with this and this was just the thing that was breaking everything. I, you, you don't want to see yeah. the new, you know, I don't want to see the new, the new army always be the thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, um, if as long as they're decent, if they're fun, if they can work, you know, if 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 a little bit of skill and and some well put together, you know, plans can can win stuff. 
I, you know, that's that's kind of more what I want to see, as opposed to oh look, this is great. I just spammed out this one unit in this army, and now I'm winning things. Yeah. So, I I I think they're so cool. I I love them. I do. And we've been talking about it forever, and we're both exhausted. And I've kept both of us up way past our bedtime because mm-hmm. of uh, well, because I started recording 14 hours too late today. <laughs> Literally, we started recording 14 hours later than we planned. Um, but I just can't say enough about how cool they are. The models are fantastic. Um, the the variety of how you can how you can uh, set them up is so great. Um, and and it's not just a point and click army. That it takes some talent. That is such a wonderful combination to see in a new army. Mm-hmm. That makes me so ecstatic. But I think that's it. Do you have anything you wanted to add? No, I'm I'm done, bro. <laughs> yeah, we're we're yeah, okay. Uh well folks, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this in-depth look at all the army stuff, all the great things you can do with it, and just the wonderful storyline behind it. But um yeah, we're done. We're out of gas. Folks, uh if you want to help out, once again, thank you to our associate producers, James Mackey and Shirley Tempel, um, please consider being one of the 1%, or we're at not quite 1%, we're about at a half a percent. Please consider being with a half a percent and helping support the show through Patreon. Um, it's really uh, it's really wonderful, if you can, and um, I will be forever grateful. Uh, other than that, um, You know what? I'm going to skip all the other rigmarole we do at the end. Let's just say, folks, that until next time, only the faithful will be triumphant, only the faithful will stand when all others fall, and only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garage hammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer, and Alex, that's me, is at somekindageek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garagehammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance Forums. That's tga.community or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>